Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, December 2nd. Time for another episode of Trucking Technology and Efficiency. We've got uh, quite a lineup today. Uh, I see we've got Joel on the board already. I think John has confirmed. I just don't see him up there yet. Also, we're being joined by Henry Albert today as well. So we are going to focus on fuel economy and technology. We are going to open the phone lines. So if you want to jump in, I would do that soon. Those lines are open right now, 855-950-3835. So uh, I'm not going to spend any time on an open. I'm going to bring Joel in and we're going to jump in and get started on this. So Joel, good morning. Uh Uh-oh, hold on. I am hearing your audio in the wrong place. Let's uh, try that again. There you go. That sounds better. Yes, that's that's. Can you hear me? I can. Yep. In fact, I've got you just uh, a little hot. So, oh wait a minute, that's my mic. You would think I, I at some point I might learn what I'm doing over here, but uh, that's not. <laughs> that's, that's not always the case. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I tell myself the same thing too. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to blame it on new technology. Since this show is all about technology, I'm just going to blame it on I think I've got you now. You were you were a little hot there, uh, which is actually a good thing. That's better than too quiet, but I've got you dialed in now, I think. So uh, what's on your mind this morning? Oh, we got all kinds of stuff. Um, I uh, watched the Tesla reveal. Interesting, um, huh? Kind of a flashy, kind of a flashy reveal, but I I thought it was kind of weak on details, the it kind of is. things that I was looking for. You know, just sim- know. simple things. How much does the truck weigh? We didn't get an answer to that. Um, I was able to take the route that they run from Fremont, California, down to San Diego, and I, you know, done a screenshot on the different towns that they ran through, and I ran that route and. When you look at ascent and descent on that route, it's virtually flat. Exactly. Now, I, I get it. You go over Grapevine, but you go up and come down the, right. the same amount. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it looked flashy, but I, I don't know that I'm – there's some impressive technology there. Don't get me wrong, but how does it apply to the real world? I mean, if we can't tell us how much a truck weighs, what if that thing weighs 30,000 pounds in a exactly. day Exactly. Right. I, it, you know, the, you, you know, you know what I'm saying. You you wanted the same thing I wanted. I want the nitty gritty details. I want battery life. What you know? I, I want everything we're not hearing anywhere. I look to see what it would take and, and, to to get you know into what into that event specifically, and it was virtually impossible. I mean, if you weren't a member of you know some big media organization right. or they had this thing where if you were a shareholder in Tesla, you got put into a lottery. Uh, I almost thought about buying some stock just so I could possibly get into the lottery, but I thought, <laughs> what, what are the odds? You know, so um, again, yeah. it, 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 here's the other thing we should take away from this, that that range and that run is absolute best case scenario. It, it was. I yes. mean, when you look at it, it was run at, my understanding is it was run at 55 mile an hour. 
And so for every five mile an hour increase, typically in electric truck, you see a 10 to 15% reduction in range. That's big. So, you know, right. I, a lot of people on social media, oh, I'm going to run right out and buy one. There's no maintenance on which oh, the no bullshit. maintenance thing is a bunch of crap too. Holy but yeah, that's but anyway, close. Yeah, yeah, so, what do you mean no maintenance? So, yeah, <laughs> so, so they, <laughs> they squeeze 500 miles out of it. At fifty-five, which is imp- it, it, that is impressive. It, Don't get me is, wrong; I'm not right, I'm not right. trying to throw off on it. But when you take today's expectation, when I drive fifty-five, everybody and their uncle's mother's bitching about it. Oh, well, you only drove fifty-five. When I, Tesla drives fifty-five, now it's the greatest thing I that know. ever happened on the planet right. Earth. And it's right. just it's just it's kind of, it's kind of funny that way. The other questions that I have are just you know very simple. What happens when the temperature is zero degrees instead of 75 degrees? Exactly. We know that's going to further degrade range. So, or hotter. What happens well, do, when it's 100? Yeah, yeah that, could, that could also possibly impact. I, I don't know to what degree. I've got some ideas on the cold. Um, you know, talking with some of the engineer friends there, thinking 20% in that range possibly. Uh, when it gets cold out, we may degrade range. So, so you put some speed and some cold to it. Where does that the, truck go? 250 miles all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I love the technology. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of cool stuff there. I'm not opposed to electric trucks at all. But you have to put all this in context so we actually know what, what we're kind of dealing with. My one major concern about electric trucks is you have a government that mandates electric trucks exactly. and then you have a government that's in control of the grid. Yeah. Um, yeah it, do you it, really, do you really think electric prices aren't going to yeah. go to the moon for trucks and transportation? That's the biggest <laughs> I, I, issue you know, that people gonna, aren't talking about when, and, and exactly forget the trucks because there isn't as much talk about trucks as there is cars right now, but look at what's happening with cars. When the transportation secretary stands up and says, well, don't worry about high gas prices. Go buy an electric vehicle. What an idiot. He's making mm-hmm. it sound as though the $40,000 you have to go spend to buy the minimum electric car today is the last time you're going to have to spend money. Wait a minute. I still have to pay for electricity. Right. Why isn't anybody talking about that? Right. And and as the government mandates the stuff, they're building their own monopoly. It's a power grab. I mean, yeah. Yeah, what are you going to do? When they, it, when they say, okay, now electric is going to go up you know, by tenfold, what are you going to do? Well, and, and let's, I, we, we see this with, with diesel fuel right now, but I, I mean, let's think I, about I'm afraid that of the one pathway solution. Exactly. Yeah. Let's think about the diesel for a second. The, again, we're just not taking into account what's going to happen with the price here, but why, why is there this big push towards electric? And if you think about it, what are for the last 50 or 60 plus years what are some of the most powerful corporations in the world the oil companies right they, they, sure. they look at all the money that has been made on oil so now everybody out there is looking at this the, the big corporations and the billionaires are looking at this going hey wait a minute we could totally replace that, or they'd like to totally replace that energy, and we want to be the ones in control of it because there's trillions of dollars exactly. to be made here. 
exactly. The government's just salivating over this. That's a power grab. Yeah. <laughs> a I don't one. know. Maybe I'm a, completely off pace really on that. But big one. Yeah, you're damn right. Yeah, like maybe yeah, the that's, biggest that's, ever. That's my thought, too. Right. That's I, my thought, too. This is a the, power grab. And, and now they got you under their thumb. You yes. won't eat. You won't get medical <laughs> supplies. You won't get nothing unless they decide, okay, you can have some electricity. They're in complete total control when they mandate electric vehicles. If you have a couple different pathways there and, and the free market's working, then things are competitive. It'll actually drive those prices down. But as, as you do government mandates, to me, it just looks like a power grab. It is. It is. And, and that's why nobody's talking about total cost of ownership. That should be the number well, we are comparing. Notice. Total cost of ownership. I, the one thing that Elon said that really caught my attention was he said, I support nuclear. And really, I mean, that's the only, and it's, that would still be part of a, a government controlled exactly. utility, <laughs> but right. that's, it's, it's the only, only way we're going to get enough electricity. I think Correct. to make all this stuff. They're right. talking about megawatt chargers. Yeah, they're so talking come about to a, a little town. Like I'm living in Norwalk. Yeah. And you, my brother, let's say he wanted to put in 10 megawatt chargers at Clover Trent. The whole town would go black. Couldn't do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> couldn't do it. And then he says, well, we can put batteries in and we can buffer things. Who's going to pay for all that? Again, the government's going to have to pay for this and then they're involved in everything. I, but, but, you know, uh, I just don't like it. <laughs> but when we say that the government's going to have to pay for this, we need to say it a different way. We're going to have to all pay for this. The government has no money. The government can only take money from us. We are going to pay, pay for, for it. Right. But we're going to give up. We're going to give them the money and give up all the control. Exactly. Right. Which is even worse. Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's kind of my fear. I think people that the technology cool. Though. I think people that follow the show know I'm a big fan of the technology itself. I just wish we could get the government completely out of it. No subsidies, no mandates. If it works, it works. If it's cost effective, it will make it. But the, we, we are going to screw this up so bad. We've talked in the past about, as an industry, we continue. I can go back from my first day in this industry. We continue to bring out technologies before they're ready. And then we set them back a decade because people don't even want to hear about them anymore. We screwed up anti-lock brakes the first time. We screwed up white singles the first time. We screwed up emissions. We have a history of this, and we're about to make the biggest screw-up ever over these electric trucks. Yeah, I, I love the electric trucks. I really do. I think they're going to have their place. Of course, the technology is going to evolve. They're going to get better. I just don't like it being mandated exactly um that that be, that becomes very problematic and and uh kind of scary when when you stop and think about it if if the federal government would ever get to the point where they're going to say okay whatever california is doing we're doing it's going to be mandated across the country um it, it, yeah that's that's kind of a scary thought yeah. but uh you know, just just the technology of the trucks. I love it. You know, of course, Volvo's involved with it. Freightliner's involved. They have electric trucks, and and uh, I think everybody's doing a, a really really good job with their trucks. Um, I just wish on the Tesla end, very flashy guy, likes to throw a lot of stuff out there, but very light on details of of any sort exactly. that you really right. need to understand. So. 
Um, hopefully, we'll see some more on that and we get a better understanding. Is this truck really head and shoulders above everybody else or, you know, is it just kind of put into a cherry-picked run that looks really good? That, that was definitely a cherry-picked run. I, like I said, we should look at that run as absolute best-case scenario. It, there's, there aren't many scenarios where you would get more miles than that except maybe if the run was from Colorado to Kansas City on a beautiful fall day. You know, that, that because so it's all I downhill. One, yeah. Well, I, right. I took one of the runs that I had done just recently where I was running some plywood up out of, um, out of New Orleans. And I came right up, you know, the center of the country, which everybody says, oh, it's perfectly flat. Well, it's an uphill climb all the way from New Orleans to Chicago. I mean, and it's... Um, Actually, I, I had left Terrell, Arkansas, and I went to South Bend, Indiana. And when you look at the total ascent and descent, I actually was on grade more than what the, the Tesla route was, even though they went over grapevine, because I was climbing the entire way. Hey, Kevin. You know, which, by, which, by the way. Kevin, can you look at Aaron's message? Yeah, I just did. Um Thank you for that. We are uh, we are streaming on my end. I, I don't see any issues on my end that I could change. So if we're not live streaming right now, we're still getting the recordings. We're going to keep going. Uh, but it's got to be some sort of an Internet issue. Um, so we're just going to keep going. If we come back. Well, that's a we, bummer. I know. <laughs> gotcha. I know. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. So we will... Uh, We'll see. I'm getting all kinds of messages here so anyway, in the background, and um, but we're we're going to keep going here. So if if nothing else, we've got a good recording. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we can replay it. So, but yeah, just just you know, looking at some of the stuff that um, where that truck was run, you know, it, it is impressive. There's no doubt they got 500 miles out of it. There's some really cool technology involved there. Uh, I guess time will tell. Um, you know, based on some of the stuff that like Henry's doing and that I'm doing out there when you take a truck and you're looking at 10, 11, 12, and even 13 miles a gallon, I'm not sure that that electric truck picture is so rosy anymore. Well, um, and you know, we, we've talked about this in the past too, that there are way too many unknowns. There's one known that will increase the cost of these electric vehicles. As soon as they decide they have to tax them for road use. That, that's going to have to happen. Sure. That's going to increase the cost. The other one, the big unknown sure. is, as we make this switch to electric and it's forced, cars and trucks both, that will start to minimize the demand on gas and diesel. Well, if the demand is minimized, the price will start to sure. go down. On the other hand, it means sure. more and more electricity, which we don't even have the infrastructure to produce yet. We have to go build the infrastructure, and it is outrageously expensive because of all the government regulations around any type of electricity being produced. The, the permits that need to happen, the cost. So the cost of electricity has to go up. And how high it could go to the point where these things are not practical at all. Well, to your to your point, I am in contact with a bunch of railroad folks, and they said over in England right now, 
they are actually pulling diesel locomotives that were mothballed and putting them into passenger service because it's cheaper to run a diesel <laughs> locomotive right now than an electric locomotive. So, I, I, you know, oh. everybody's thinking that has an electric car. You know, well, my electric car is so cheap and I never have to do maintenance. I, that's probably true for an electric car. I, I get it. The, the case is absolutely there. That's not going to hold true for a commercial vehicle. You are going to have maintenance. You, I, I mean, just look at what Tesla showed us. They have got a, a clutch and they've got some torque vectoring stuff going on in there. There's a lot of gears. There's a cooling system involved there. You have high voltage, and when you put a thousand volt system and you start to throw, uh, you know, road salt and stuff on it, you're going to have corrosion issues. That, that stuff's so, unavoidable. Now, th they may have been able to reduce the occurrence, but you can never stop that stuff totally. So, it, it's it's not the the panacea. It, it, I get it. There are applications where it absolutely works. I, I understand that, and and again, I'm not anti electric truck but you have to put everything into context so you know what you're dealing with and we keep saying it but the biggest problem is the fact that it's all artificial because of the subsidies and the tax breaks and all the other crazy stuff that's going on it, it, it's not real world and that's a that's a big problem you know a couple things that i to take away from the truck that are pretty unique i know peterbilt did this in their last super truck the center driving position I think that's a big deal. I, I would love to drive that truck cool, yeah. around for a day yeah. and see how much better it is as far as visibility all around the vehicle, overall, you know, comfort. It, sure. That is just a really nice setup. And when you think about it, yeah. why not do that with a truck? Now, I, I know some teams are going to say, well, where's the passenger going to sit when they're not in the sleeper? I, we could overcome that, put a, you know, some sort of a fold-out jump seat right in the middle, you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, but that, right. that center driving position, um, I think there are a lot of improvements that could come from that. Yeah, the, the aerodynamics are very impressive right. on that truck. Right. I mean, they're extremely impressive. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I, again, I know it sounds like I'm really beating the hell out of, out of Tesla. And, and to a certain degree, I am, but that's the kind of things that you need to do in order to understand, you know, how is this going to impact your operation and is it is it really good for me? Um, I am sure that there are a bunch of operations this thing will work just fine. There's going to be other ones, not so much. Just based on what I'm seeing out in social media, there's just this kind of euphoria that electric trucks solve all problems oh and God. we're going to save billions of dollars by running electric trucks. That's not going to happen. Not even Not close. right off the bat, not for even sure. close. Yeah. Uh, well, you hold know. on. You know, you know, you hear stuff like, well, they don't even have a transmission. And, they, you know, that's not true either. Um, every one of them has some type of gear reduction or a transmission in them. I know the Volvo has a two-speed eye shift. It has a low gear to start heavy loads with two motors so we don't heat things up and then when it gets up to cruising speed one of the motors shut off and it shifts into high gear um and and most electric trucks have some type of transmission cummins electric truck uh, my understanding is a four speed so you, you don't even really eliminate the transmission yeah, exactly. So uh, one more thing on just electric technology, uh, since we beat the hell out of the truck itself for good reason. Um, I finally got to use my electric snowblower. All right. And How'd that work? instead of 
best case scenario like this run, mine was almost worst case scenario. We got about eight inches of pretty heavy wet snow. It snowed all day long. Uh, it was about 32 or 32, three degrees while it was snowing. So it was big, heavy, wet snow. And then about 10 o'clock at night, it turned to rain. And I got up in the morning and it had kind of been drizzling all night. So we still had about four inches of snow left. And it was more water than snow. It was the the it was hard to even describe, and I thought there's no way the snowblower is going to work on this. So I took it out there. I was amazed. It takes it right down to the concrete, nice. and it was still it it almost looked like I was just shooting water out of it because as soon as the blades nice. hit it, it just liquefied it all. Hit it, warmed up. Yeah, yeah. It but. I did, so I have a front driveway that has the garage there, so that one has to get cleared. That's the first one I do. We have a back driveway that's really wide and long because that's where we park the coach and the trailer, and um, it's nice and wide. There's no garage or anything back there. That one is in such a weird place, the way the house is built. Uh, We have all kinds of different roof lines coming together right there. And we're in the gorge, so wind is always a factor. We get the craziest drifts in that back driveway. You will have a place of bare concrete, and then right next to it, you'll have a five-foot drift. And that's if we only get eight inches of snow. So most of the time, I just plan on the fact that I'm just going to forget that driveway is even back there. I, with a shovel, I wouldn't ever attempt to try to clear that driveway most winters. We just let it go. The same with the sidewalks. I have a sidewalk that goes all the way around the house because I have a street in front of me and a street behind me. And I never mess with the sidewalks. Well, now I got a new toy. I cleared them all. And even with that crazy, heavy, wet snow, um, I, normally that snow would have taken me an hour and a half just to do the front driveway with a shovel. And like I said, the back, it would take six people in an hour and a half. Uh, and forget the sidewalks. Gotcha. Um, I did it all in about an hour and one, one charge on the, or two charges on the battery. I charged them one time. I had them charged, used it, ran it almost down, charged them one more time. In a normal snow, I would have been able to do all of that on one charge. No problem. Mm-hmm. So it, it's pretty impressive. Gotcha. It's quiet. I mean, you almost yeah, hear nothing. Like yeah. And it can, it can really throw the snow. When I did hit some patches that were more snow than water, um, I was easily getting 30 feet. It was throwing it. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. Wow, yeah, that is impressive. Yeah. The yeah, hardest thing to get used to... I one. <laughs> the hardest thing to get used to, uh-huh. all of these tools, they feel like they're like they're toys. I mean, they're, they're all made of plastic. Like they're wimpy, there's, yeah. There's hardly any metal to them because they don't really need it, and it's they just yep. feel really cheap and and like a toy and they don't make any noise so that makes it even worse like the worst one is the chainsaw you know when you pick up a chainsaw and you want it to sound like a chainsaw <laughs> right. It, right, you, right, they, right right yeah if, if yeah. all we had was electric chainsaws the texas chainsaw massacre movie would have never been made 
<laughs> you pick up this. So what you're going to have to do, Kevin, listen, you're going to have to monitor your testosterone levels now that you're using electric I know. tools. I know. Because, yeah, because if there's no, no heft and no noise, I mean, come on. <laughs> I could, we could be sissified here. It, you pick it up and it's yeah, like that's right. it's plastic and it's light and you pull the trigger on the chainsaw and all you hear is like the chain moving. You don't hear any other noise. And you're like, this, this, this thing's a toy. It's not a real tool until you go to cut something. And then you're like, oh, no, this thing really cuts. Somebody is going to come out with a little speaker system for electric tools that if you want noise, I think you'll be so. able to plug in a yeah. little sound effect. Yep. yep, there you go. All right. Hey, I see we've got John on the board. Oh, I, I, um, we did solve our streaming problem. <sighs> I hate to keep admitting oh, awesome. that. It, it was operator error. <sighs> I need a new checklist. I started doing a, I started doing a new show this week. Uh, a commentary in the morning instead of doing a big long show open i try to get to callers quicker so i thought i'll just start recording my show opens um so but when i do that i have to turn off that live stream or i would be streaming my recording while i was doing it but then i have to remember to turn that live stream back on and my commentary ran right up into my show today so i was kind of rushed and I uh, gotcha. Yeah. Everybody's yelling at me, and I'm like, no, I checked everything. Everything's fine on my end. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't. Aaron figured it out. He knew uh, He knew what happened. So, all right, we're, we're going to bring uh, John in and keep rolling here. John, good morning. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good. Good. What's on your mind Howdy. this week? Um, I'm going to have to comment on those. Phil's take on the uh, good. Uh, I actually think it's a pretty big deal, like in a good way. It's proof of concept, man. The fact that they even did it is huge. Um, it's the first one, really. I mean, you, you see people are doing some stuff out there, but that's not really an electric truck. It's kind of an electric truck, but it's it, you know they they are moving some things around with that too. But uh, I, I think it's it's number one, man. It's, uh, you know, remember what calculators looked like in the seventies. It's just, it's going to, it's going to change rapidly. So, and computers. So I, 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 you know, I I like it. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't care what's going to happen to the infrastructure. As far as I'm concerned, those are jobs. You know, my, my son's a young engineer, even though he's working in motorsport right now, he could be designing, you know, stuff for the grid, you know, there, 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 there are things like that that need to improve and are going to improve. And, and even if the government's involved, the market's still going to drive it. Um, you know, your commentary about if these things, if, and when this, this all starts happening, it'll drive fuel prices down. That's great. You know, we'll get to an equilibrium and there will still be competition, whether it's being incentivized by the government or not, you know, that's going to happen and that'll change with people we vote in and out. That's going to be cyclical to the degree at which that's ever going to happen or any mandates are going to happen. So, you know that's going to work itself out. I'm, I'm I'm more optimistic than pessimistic about it by far. And the fact that they actually did it, I don't care at what mile per hour it went that distance. And yeah, that's uh, that that's not to be ignored. Um, and and obviously the big manufacturers are not ignoring it. And and you got Elon out there as wacky as he is, and becoming more wacky it seems. <laughs> but he is uh, doing doing what he does, man. He's proven concept. He's a showman. He's getting the attention. He's uh, you know, 
no one ever accused him of being a good businessman. And, you know, he could go on and on about his stock and whatever, but who cares? I mean, he's out there proving concept and trying things that nobody else does and, uh, and making it work. So, you know, when the, when the, the bigger powers will, uh, will jump in and, you know, make, make a bigger difference. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm way more, we're, uh, more positive about this than, than, than you guys are. I think it was a pretty, pretty damn big deal. Um, and not to be ignored. I mean, it's yeah, there are there are drawbacks. Yeah, our grid can't handle it now. Yeah, if your brother put a bunch of charge stations in 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 Ohio right now where you guys are, yeah, it would it would make the town go black. So what? You're not going to do that right now. It's not going to happen that way. So that's uh, that's just not a not, not the way to look at it. I don't think. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. And, and you like the you know like his quirky designs and stuff. And maybe that stuff will carry on. I think his pickup truck's ridiculous. You couldn't pay me to drive that thing. But oh come on, know, if, if, if I had come the money, on. I'd be. <laughs> if I had the money, if I had the money, I'd be ordering a Rivian tomorrow. Uh, I, so, but yeah, it's. Uh, I, I saw somebody yesterday. They they took the Cybertruck and they stretched it. You know, graphically, they they stretched it, oh, no. made a picture of it, and said, "If he would turn it into a minivan, I'd buy one today." <laughs> <laughs> that might look cool as a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that uh, might that might be neat yeah yeah so i'm going to be off to the pri show next week where i'm going to see probably exponentially more ev related performance stuff and aftermarket companies who are now making control units and throttles and and programmable ecus that control how your electric buggy uh uh you know, charges based upon things, so forth. I mean, there's, 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 there's a, there's a lot on the horizon here. It's interesting to go to something like that. Like last year, it really struck me, and I, I can't wait to see what I see there this year. Uh, the EV stuff's becoming really big in desert racing. So there's, uh, you know, just because, you know, it's a lot more friendly uh, to the dusty, dirty environments and so forth uh, to, to use the EV. And you know, with your ups and downs and D cells and XLs and so forth, it's uh, you got the ability to charge. So there's there are a lot of EV classes out there racing in oh, the desert now. And there was yeah. a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, it's it's big. Yeah, and you know you've got guys making uh, you know power units and, and throttles and, and companies like you know and anyone who's in automotive aftermarket's probably heard of AEM. AEM has done you know tuner stuff for years. They had a big display last year of. Uh, you know, their, their throttle controls and all their EV motor controls and things and, and programming software and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's huge. I mean, it, it's, and I'm somebody who, you know, I'm in motorsport where we, you know, we, we, we burn dead dinosaurs for the fun of it and, and use up tires and just to make some rich people have fun and be happy. Um, you know, I, I look forward to the day when I could work on, so we get, get to work on some, uh, some charging schemes and, and some other technologies there and, and energy storage and so forth. So yeah, it's, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's cool. So it's so kind of cool. funny. I, I don't, and, and the yeah, kids I, love I, it. I, I don't disagree with either one of you. You kind of took up, not totally opposite. I think most of us are probably a lot closer to the middle of this issue than we, we, it sounds sometimes. I don't disagree with either one of you on what you said. I, I will come back to the, the biggest disappointment in all of this for me is knowing how much potential there is for this, whether it's vehicles or tools or, or just all kinds of things we do in our life, knowing there's incredible amounts of potential, being excited about it, and absolutely knowing the government is going to screw it up and set it back about 20 years. That's what pisses me <laughs> off. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're going to have to live through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and <laughs> so, we should. And, and we'll probably sucks. do it better than other governments. So it probably, or, yeah. or not. I mean, yeah. maybe other governments will do it do it better because you know they'll just they'll just it'll be instant. You know, well, they're just going to get to bite the bullet and do it. You know, if you look at the way progress happens in Europe, which was striking to me in my, my trip over there last month, you know, that shit just happens. I mean, they don't there there's not you don't have a choice. So, you know, here it's going to be this 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 purgatory in between for a long time it's going to be completely screwed up and it's you know it's not going to be the do something even if it's wrong thing it's going to be some back and forth non-stop 20-year process like you said yeah it, it, it's it, it's a shame that we're and i don't even think the european way is the right way because that's just the government saying you're going to do it our way and they're just used to that over there and they accept it we still try to push back. I, I want the opposite. I want the government out of this completely. Let the free market figure this out. It will always do it better. But when we start giving out these government subsidies to, to crony capitalism, somebody knows somebody in the government, they get a bunch of this money, they blow through the money, the company goes bankrupt, and, and we've watched this happen over and over and over. And that's the biggest reason... Um, negative about the way this is going to happen. I'm so positive about the technology and excited about it, but it just pisses me off that the government's going to screw the pooch on this one again. <laughs> we have that to look forward to. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it, it is just follow the money. Like I said, they're, 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 these people are looking at the oil barons and saying, look, these have been the most powerful companies in the world for almost a century now, and we have a chance to replace them. That's what this is. And when you use the power of the well, government we, to do we, it, how do we even fight back to, against that? Well, well, we have, we have the opportunity to replace them, too. Yeah, I realize we need to do that. Process, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it, it, and it happens. So, you know, over time it happens, but it's, again, the pendulum swings and it might swing slower than, than a lot of people like, but it does. So the, that's problem. The problem from my perspective with, with what you're, what you're talking about here, I a hundred percent agree with you that pendulum swings, but when you are running a small to mid-sized business and you're waiting on that pendulum to swing, <laughs> it, it's devastating to a small to mid-sized oh, yeah, business. It, it can. absolutely yeah. is. It's, it's very, very difficult. So, you know, a, a company like my brother's, it's a, it's a small, we'll call it small mid-sized fleet, you know, trying to stay up on all of this technology and stay current with it so you know how to make the right decision and, and everything that's going on can be extremely difficult. And so when you get something like just happened out here with the Tesla thing. I get it. There is some very cool technology there. There is some some really cool stuff. Um, they went 500 miles. Okay, everybody else's electric trucks going 250-ish miles. What's the weight difference? Is there just more battery in this truck? We don't know exactly what's going on there. You know, my I, I've heard people, and I have not seen a published tear weight of this truck yet. And it's really kind of just, you know, being a guy that wants to understand will this truck make sense going forward? Is that a 30,000 pound truck or is that a 20,000 pound truck? Well, I, I don't know. Did they just add a bunch of extra battery to it to get it to 500 miles? 
Um, could I just take a regular old VNR and throw some more batteries on it and go 500 <laughs> miles versus the 250? Yes, six? you I, could. You know, these are the kind of things that, that well, that's what I think. Yes, these, you could. That Absolutely. could be done. So was, was, was anything really outstanding achieved here if that Wait. is, in fact, what happened? Well, hey, why don't if, we, if they just loaded this thing up with batteries because they, they didn't give us a payload weight and they did not uh, give us a tear weight. You know, we, we don't know what uh, let's, happened. In let's there. do this. I, I get, let's it's, it's do it's this. Proof of concept. That's what it is. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, yeah. I agree with you, John. Right. It is proof of concept. Yeah. I, I get yeah. that. But to a to somebody that's trying to make a financial decision, they didn't give us enough information to do crap with. They just they so, they threw this great party. They got a lot of people excited about it, <laughs> and you get a lot of people thinking this is the end all be all to everything. It's probably not. It's pro- it, it is definitely cool. It's a step. It, it's probably a step in the right direction. We just need more information to know exactly well, what happened there. Well, let's do this. Let, let's load up the trailer with batteries until the whole vehicle weighs 80,000 pounds. <laughs> and how far could it go then? Well, yeah, There's also another factor here. When you push the range by just adding more battery capacity, not only are you adding weight, you're adding charging time. I, you know, and they talked about the, the mega chargers and some of the really cool technology there. I think they're probably light years ahead of everybody else, the way that they were describing how they want to charge things. But, you know, I was just looking for some, how much does the truck weigh? Very simple. Tell me how much it weighs, you know, and they, <laughs> they won't do it. Do At least I, I haven't right. seen it. You know, <laughs> well, what, what they, impact does speed have on range? Is it really the 10 to 15% for a five mile an hour increase? And what impact yeah, that's does not temperature be have on range? No, that's that's uh, right. But and, you, and, you know that's huge. That's, right. You can't yeah. put a percentage so, on that because because you know how well you know what aero drag does with speed. You know that there right, are other right. parasitic drags. That's not a it's not a linear equation. Yeah. So you can't exactly. just say it's so, gonna be fifteen percent so, less at, at seventy than it yeah. Hey John. So what, we what, know that ninety percent of the drivers in the United States would never drive fifty five. <laughs> exactly. They're just not they'll, gonna do it. They'll revolt. You know, yeah, so revolt. It, it's just, you know, I, I catch a lot of shit over this stuff personally and with speed and you know all the things we're talking about. I know all this stuff can be done and don't get me wrong that it was an impressive trip down there, but we just needed more details to really understand what was going on. And, and was it just a, a matter that they loaded the damn truck up with batteries? I, I, I don't know yet. I mean, I don't know that anybody knows well originally has a tear weight on that truck i'd love to know what it is originally when they brought out the truck there were two models i remember two prices and the difference in the models Mm -hmm. just like many of these vehicles was it the bigger more expensive had more range only because it had more battery capacity so you know it also weighed more but they never talked about that point but there were two models originally Mm -hmm. There was a model with uh, that sure. was cheaper and had a shorter range. Then there was the one they were claiming with the, the big range. Hey, John, I, I want to get your take on this. Um, let's go back to when cars first came around. Um, up until Henry Ford, they were all handmade, right? It was There weren't assembly yep. lines. They were basically craftsmen building cars from scratch. Um, and that yes. went on for decades decades until you know the big manufacturers started automating and buying up all the little ones or putting them out of business or whatever do you see that happening again that this technology is so much easier to see people like building things in their garage again building cars 
or motorcycles or bicycles. Or, you see it. You see it now. I read. Yeah. I, I read it, read an article to the, to that same effect. Uh, yes. And there's so much componentry that's available. That's why you're seeing so many small manufacturers. I just read about another EV thing called the almost canoe or something. You know, they're, they're making little delivery vehicles. And, oh, I and did see that. Expand one. Yeah. Into oh, little, that. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that one? Yeah, little little delivery yep. vans and uh, and a little they have a little off road thing that they're going to go to market with. So there was one of the automotive publications had a had an article about how this is possible now. Uh, you know, you could buy the bits and buy the pieces and and you know get get enough stuff and assemble it and and make your own fairly cheap. So you could go back to craftsmanship and small low overhead uh, you know manufacturers now. That's they exciting. Don't need to do as much. Yeah. I, I think yeah. it's huge. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said about the stuff I'll see at PRI next week, and I'll report on that next Friday. Uh, you know, there's you could buy everything to build your own electric dragster, your own electric. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. In, in, cool. yeah. yeah. Seriously, right. I mean, yeah, you're you're, yeah. You're, you're you're you know, you don't have to call whoever Donovan or Keith Black or whoever to build the big the big Hemi to go in there. You get to just buy an electric motor. I'm sure it comes from China or the pieces of it do or whatever. Uh, or, 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 or wherever, but regardless, you, you could piece it together and, and build your own and, and, and it's cheaper and easier and, and there are fewer moving parts. Uh, yeah, it's got some sort of transmission. I think those, those little dragsters are two speeds or something, but regardless, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's easy. And, and then easier, think, one of the, think about combining yeah. that idea. There's already these cool components. So vehicles can almost become modular uh, you could mix and match, so that's where the creativity and the design comes in. But then also think about a couple other technologies that are becoming really, really cost-effective, like uh, 3D printers and CNC machines and, and stuff that you could afford to put in a small garage now. Absolutely, yeah. We might yeah, see that's, some, that's, that's, some that's, really yeah, that's, cool that's, stuff. Yeah, Kevin, I've got, I've got I, a... Uh, a little thing here that will absolutely drive you nuts on this. <laughs> and uh, it, it, go, it, go, it goes along the lines of what was that when the Nicole or whatever that was coming out, they were talking about the weights and stuff. So there was a oh, little yeah. video put out by Tesla world that was comparing the new Tesla to a Mac. And it went through this video and it says, uh, it says electric trucks are allowed to pull or allowed to carry 82,000 pounds. That means 350 <laughs> extra cases of Pepsi every load. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And that will not pay one penny so I more. I saw that. It, well, even if it's somebody, dead. It yeah. won't. It think, won't, Think though. about this, That's though. the thing. I, they, they give them the, the, the exemption to run 82,000 pounds because the tear weight of the vehicle is heavy. Exactly. I will bet you that they don't get as many cases of pop on that trailer as what a traditional lightweight day cab would get that weighs about 13,000 pounds hooked to a, what, a, a 14,000 pound trailer. You're at 27. The truck and trailer probably weigh less than what just the truck weighs on the electric side or in the same neighborhood. So, you know, that's going to impact, obviously, how much you can put on that trailer. And it, it just, I got a kick out of this. Well, that was the me. first thing that flipped <laughs> me out about Nikola when they were making all these claims about thousands and thousands <laughs> right, of dollars right. more revenue every month because their vehicle was so light. And it was over 23,000 pounds. 
what the hell are you talking right. about? <laughs> that that was the, the right. That was the reason we started calling the whole thing a scam, and it turned out we were right. Hey, John, I, I tell I, you yeah. what, if if it I almost comes felt out bad about that, that Kevin, <laughs> if, oh, if it comes out, if it comes out that this Tesla truck weighed like fifteen thousand pounds, I will throw a Tesla party, exactly. and I'll invite you guys, <laughs> and we'll, we'll have a big old Tesla party. <laughs> there you I, go. I, I just got a feeling that it's going to be way heavier than that, yeah. but I, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So it, well, it's got to be. I mean, you, you can't store the energy in anything that light. It's not going to happen yet. I get battery. To better but i mean that amount of energy is not going yeah. to be stored in something that is all that light it just yeah. isn't john what were you going to say yeah. earlier you started you feel bad I, about something. oh yeah the, uh, the nickel the nickel thing remember remember you know one of my earliest shows we, we talked when the nickel thing had i called him vaporware and he actually yes. called me out on twitter or called us out on twitter it's not 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 vaporware yeah yeah that was that was it, funny and we were right i know and it then we vaporware. we we backed <laughs> off because the so many people in the industry got behind it and they're like well we're maybe we're wrong here everybody else is is saying this is the we, greatest yeah, thing we, ever we went completely yeah <laughs> and, and I do give the company credit, not not uh, Trevor Milton. He, I guess he's in trouble or whatever now, he right? Might he might be in prison. They ousted him. Yeah, he might be in prison. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean the fact that they are continuing on, but they've so reverted. I mean they're just using some technologies that exists in, uh, in 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 Europe right now. I mean they're not doing anything on their own for the most part. But oh well. Yeah. It's yeah. you know, and, and again, I like and I like the technology. I really do. Um, not a hundred percent sure I'm on board with the hydrogen fuel cell right now, but I mean, that seems like it might be a way to go. Might be. But, uh, you know, creating your own power on board, I, I think is a, is a cool deal. Yeah. Yeah. No so doubt. That uh, does. It, it's, um, but yeah, it was so funny. If you, if you, if you would go back and listen to all of our conversations oh, about it, went oh. to <laughs> we go see the opening of the new factory. Remember we were, yes. we were going to go to the, wanted to go, go to, go yeah. to Phoenix and see it and maybe meet them. And yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, but now, uh, oh well. Yeah, you know, <laughs> here, here, one of the the things I talked about this week on my commentary was the whole uh, FTX fiasco. the The cryptocurrency guy. A year ago, the mm-hmm. guy was worth twenty six billion dollars. He's like thirty years old or something. Today, he said in an interview this week, he said, "I think I might have a hundred thousand dollars left in my checking account." The twenty-six billion is just gone, <laughs> and it wasn't his money. Wow! It, it, <laughs> they believe that there might be one one hedge fund that lost eight billion dollars because of this guy. And the thing is, there are lots and lots of people. I have interviews. You can go back a year, and lots of people are saying this is a total scam. They weren't mincing words. They weren't saying it's a little iffy. They were saying this is a total scam, and yet you had government officials getting on board, promoting this guy. Somebody said, is he the next Warren Buffett? No, he's not the next (laughs) Warren Buffett. (laughs) Who was the big Ponzi scheme guy? He's that guy. That's who Bernie Madoff. He's okay. the next Bernie Madoff. The, That's who he Madoff, is. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or the Enron guy was the, the other one. Yeah. Well, so yeah. The, 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 so the, the bankruptcy attorney that had to oversee the Enron disaster, which he said it was the most complicated case he had ever worked on in his life, took him years. 
he was appointed to look at this one. He said, this is at least 10 times more complicated than Enron was. <laughs> and the guy still, the, the, the guy that perpetrated the fraud is still hanging out down in the Bahamas because he's, and they just had him on some big conference the other day. It's insane. How, why are these people so easily fooled by this stuff? People who should know better. Well, how were these big trucking companies fooled by Nikola? They were putting in orders and everything else, and, and they weren't questioning that insane claims he was making. I, I would love to know uh, what happened to that money or, or if any of them got paid back or if they're getting something for it. I mean, because there were a lot of people who jumped in on that, yes. as I recall. And yeah. wasn't it weird? It was not. It was a, some sort of a weird lease deal thing, too. It wasn't like you actually bought the truck. Oh, no, it? you're right. Some sort of it, it was strange. all-in lease. You paid them a certain amount of money okay. every month. You got electricity. You got everything was covered in it. But it was outrageously expensive. The, the cost of the vehicle you got, itself. You got hydrogen is what you got. Right. The cost of right. the vehicle itself was almost $400,000. Right. Yeah, I remember that. It was it was really strange. Yeah, it's like double what Tesla was claiming their cost was going to be. It wasn't even close. Right. But then they came up with yeah, this, I mean, so no, nobody's going to buy it at that price. We'll come up with this all-in lease. You just pay us this much. We cover maintenance. We cover fuel, everything. This is your total cost. Well, first of all, that, that had it ever happened, it would have either collapsed under its own weight, the company wouldn't have been able to afford to do all those things, or it just was so expensive it wouldn't have mattered anyway. It was not cost effective. Even if that is your all-in cost, it's too much. Yeah, that's just, yeah that didn't make sense. Hmm. All right. So uh, I wonder if anyone knows. If anyone ever hears us that knows about this, should give us a call. Wasn't it? We need to get someone in. Wasn't it U.S. Express that really backed them heavy? U.S. Express. Oh yeah. yeah. Like every time you saw a picture of the truck, all over it. It had their logos all over it, and they had claimed they were buying five hundred of them right off the bat or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then there was there yeah. was some St. Louis there was there was a trucking company, some Budweiser distributor That's company, right. something yep. that did that did it too. Yeah, yeah. All right, hey, hmm. we uh, we've almost blown through the whole first hour, and we haven't even brought our guest in yet. <laughs> we should probably <laughs> do that. Do that. Yeah, hey, yeah I, I'm sure he's been screaming at his phone the whole time, haven't you, Henry? Just a few times. <laughs> I kind of figured. <laughs> Just a few times. It's been a long time, Kevin. It has been a long time. It's great to have you here. We talk about you all it's the time. Great to be along. Yep. Yeah. You're, okay. boy, you're one of my heroes. Yeah, uh, you're, 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 you're my, you're my, uh, I've, I've been, you notice I'm like your biggest <laughs> Facebook fanboy when you used to post stuff there. I, I, I just love what you've done and you were the first one to go, uh, I think down the super efficient road here, as far as I can see it in, in a logical, uh, nice new truck and, and, and exploiting what new technology could do before anybody else did it. I'm, I'm, I've always been impressed. So glad to have you here. Great to be along and looking forward to getting to talking about how the, the history and where we gone and where we've been on the six by twos. It's amazing what we're able to do today. And, and, and so much of it, with what we talk about, they, 
the six by two is nothing new. It's really just line haul taking a page out of heavy haul. Heavy haul has been uh, doing this for years. You know, not even <laughs> not even so much just heavy haul. I go back to my very first truck. The first truck I ever bought was a, a white Road Boss two, a day cab. I bought it from Roadway. They had probably put three million miles on it or so. Nobody ever knows. They used to just uh, when you used to go into a Roadway garage or shop, they used to have crates of those uh, old Detroits, and they'd just yank one out and put a new one in at about 300,000 miles if it made it that far, and then just keep running the truck. <laughs> so I have no idea how many miles were on that thing, but that was a 6 by 2 That had a tag axle on the back, and it had an airbag between the front axle and the frame, and you could inflate that airbag so it put all the weight on that front drive axle. If you, were, if you weren't under a trailer, it would actually lift the back axle up. If you were under a trailer, there was usually enough weight on it that you couldn't see a gap. But the, all the pressure was put on that front axle. And then when you hit high range, it would deflate on its own. And, and that, was, that truck was a 1979, I think. And it was just a, a, a yeah. line haul tractor for roadway. We had a 1968 International 4070 with a very similar setup. That price we ran that thing all the way to 1987. I think my, my old man got it in '68 a year before I was born, and and that's the truck that I learned on. So yeah, same thing. They've been around for quite a while, no doubt. There was a there was a carrier in the Midwest, and I can't I can picture their trucks. I can't remember their name now. They were a big mail contractor. And they had a ton of yeah. They're from lift De- Defiance, Ohio. Um, Keller. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Defiance light blue trucks. Yes. Yes. They they ran all kinds of those for years and years. Yeah. That's exactly F- right. Front yeah. lift axle. You'd see them running down the road with that, that yeah. axle off the ground yeah. all the time. Yeah, and then there was also the one out of St. Louis that had the black and white Max. Um, I can't say the name of them. They also ran a, a bunch of those, uh, and they were male contractors as well. So, they, yeah, they both uh, they both ran lift yeah, axles. And, one had internationals, one had, had max. And yeah. the idea there was 90-plus percent of their runs were loaded one way and empty the other. Correct. Correct. And even when they were loading, a lot of times they weren't. It was light, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. no, no, you're, yep, you're, you're exactly right. Yep. Yes, sir. Well, you, so they, they definitely yeah, been around at, for a while. I look at where I am the last three weeks. I have not had five axes on the ground for three weeks, other than when I'm parked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, why, have, why put more feet on the ground than you need? So here's another case of... If we had that technology back in the 60s, maybe even earlier, why didn't it catch on? Was it just fuel was so cheap we just didn't care enough to to bother with gains like that? Yeah, a lot of it was that. I mean, you you did have cheap fuel prices, and, and so you didn't really have to focus on efficiency. So I think what a lot of fleets done is they would look at the secondary market and let that drive their decision. Where am I going to sell this truck into? So a farmer that may be going off road, that may not be the best application for that truck. And, you know, a lot of fleets in the Midwest, that's, that's their secondary yeah. outlets. They're going to dump these things off the farmers that want to you know, pull brain wagons in and out of the field. That's a good topic. Let's take that back to the electric vehicle. 
you know, they talk about this low mm-hmm. maintenance or no maintenance, which is a total crock. Um, look at Teslas. Mm-hmm. They, they might have a low cost, but it's not that low. I mean, they're not like record breaking mm-hmm. as far as being low for maintenance costs. There are always things that need fixed. What about the battery replacement mm-hmm. on these things? And before this vehicle goes mm-hmm. to the secondary market, it's going to need batteries. And what's that going to do to cost? Sure. Sure. Well, let's, let's just even talk about the secondary market. The secondary market's changed so much. Like the truck I'm driving or the Joel truck Joel's driving, even if it was a 6x4, is never, ever in its lifetime going to become a field truck. It's just not going to do it. Right. And, you know, right. back in the day, even on the cab overs, they were short. They were this. They were that. They were maneuverable because they were short, really short in some cases. You know, yeah, that any of the trucks might have become a logging truck at some point in its life. It might have become a truck that pulled a dump trailer in and out of construction sites. So, the truck that Joel has or the truck that I have, even if they were six-by-fours, is never going to go into that duty cycle. No, not unless you ripped off all the fairings and all kinds of other stuff that just doesn't make sense. Uh, so I, I read an interesting article the other day. It was way short on detail. I was going to talk about it, but uh, I'll bring it up now. Um, there was a report just done recently on resale value of heavy trucks. And the prevailing thought for years and years and years was, oh, the classics have the best resale value. And people actually used to try to justify losing $10,000 a year in fuel cost because the resale value is a couple thousand dollars higher. Well, People haven't been paying attention. That's totally disappeared. That no longer exists at all. The the top two best resale value trucks, one of them shocked me completely. The other one was no surprise at all. Number two, I really thought would have been number one, which is Volvo. Um, They were number two. Guess who number one was? (laughs) No idea. Somebody, everybody's got to take a guess just to see. So, Joel, what do you think? Oh, geez, oh, Pete. Um, I, I don't know. I guess we only have limited choices here. I'll say international. Oh, my God. You got it. I didn't think anybody <laughs> would think of international. I certainly didn't. Yeah, international, number one for resale value. That's crazy. I know. Wow. I know. Is that a, is that in a percentage of what it costs new, or, or are they less expensive to begin with? And because you, they're it is there's so many who just run them. They they did they flip them quickly. Wondering. I wonder if that's why they did base it on if, it, it, the way it should be. Uh, of course, if you have to pay ten thousand dollars more for that classic with a big sixteen liter, it better sell for more at the end. But now they don't. That's the problem. Now you're starting to see more of. You know, the international may have a significantly lower initial cost, so that would give it a big advantage. Actually, it wasn't really number one and number two. I should correct that. International won in Class 8 Sleeper. Volvo won Class 8 Day Cab. Wow. Hmm. That's surprising. I know. I'm just wondering. I know on the international... They worked very hard in that secondary market by offering, like, you know, free warranty for, you know, 
30 years. It was crazy. Some of the stuff they were putting on those free trucks in order to get them out in the marketplace. So it sounds like what they done must've really worked well. If, if they're yeah. up in the number one position, that, that's kind of shocking. Yeah, that sure is. Now you know, imagine uh, what might happen when they get this new engine into service. If it turns out to be as good as it, it, as it looks, it, it, they're, they're going to be formidable. There is, yeah. there is no doubt, you know, as much as I like the Volvo and obviously the, the Detroit is very impressive as well. This, this new one that they have coming, it's, it's, it's going to be a good one. Uh, it, it, uh, I don't want to say it's going to be a game changer, but for, for international, it will be. There's right. no doubt. You're going to have it, people looking at, at that brand that hasn't looked at them in over a decade. So, And this is good for it, all of it, us. It, it'll be good for them. Yeah, this is good it for is. all of us to have it, it, multiple yeah. manufacturers to be able to pick from again. Yeah, yeah. And it forces everybody to up their game. You know, there, yeah. there's, there's no doubt about it. Um, That's right. Whenever, whenever somebody comes into the marketplace with something that, you know, has the potential to do it, what the the international has the potential to do um everybody's going to up their game you know I, I can guarantee you at at volvo and at at Daimler, everybody behind the scenes they're they're sharpening their pencils and yeah and uh really getting to work to to you know stay competitive or try to stay out in front of the crowd so there's there's no doubt it's it's a great thing for the consumer yeah you know i i said on tuesday i yeah. said if uh if pack car and Cummins are going to remain competitive in, in this new world going forward. I think one or the other needs to buy the other one. Uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, with that Meritor acquisition that they've had, I know that, you know, they, they, you know, kind of think possibly they have some leverage at some of the manufacturers because now they do have, axles and you know maybe they're saying well we'll discount you on axles if you throw our engines in or something um there may be some of that thought process going on i'm not a hundred percent sure but I, it would make sense to me that something like that may be happening um they are developing a bunch of different things you know they're they've got that fuel agnostic um platform where their 15 liter can be hydrogen diesel gasoline you know whatever you want it to be um, it's not going to be like a dual fuel, but it will be, um, you know, able to run hydrogen specifically or gasoline or diesel fuel, which is unique. I don't think anybody else is doing that. I don't quite understand that completely, but that is out there. And they've got a pretty robust Cummins does uh, electric uh, powertrain coming out as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they they come out with uh, when they introduce their uh, electric truck. And I don't know yeah. if that's going to be considered I, a I, Cummins truck or, or if it's going to go in, you know, into a Packard product or how that's going to work. I, I don't know yet. It, it, they'll, they'll partner I with somebody. I think the biggest on that. difference I, I don't, on that, the hydrogen Cummins versus their diesel Cummins was, I think it has a different head on it. Isn't that right, Joel? I, I believe so. There, there's some few changes on it but you know it, they they tried to do as few changes as possible obviously to preserve the integrity for their parts and and you know the manufacturing process and whatnot but yeah there there will be obviously some changes to it hey uh what, what, hey. what i got a kick out of on that hydrogen deal was that was it carb i was reading into one article a few months ago that their hydrogen powered basically ISX wasn't 
uh, emission friendly enough because of the slight amount of oil that got past the rings. I'm like, okay, we're being ridiculous. Now. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, ridiculous. That's especially so in today's world, there is not much oil getting past those rings anymore. Uh, you wouldn't think so. No. I, I mean, that's no, I, easy enough to I'm prove. I'm doing 75,000 miles. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing 75,000 mile oil changes with no makeup. No makeup. Like, that, not even c- move. Come on, that's that's how many <laughs> how many years in a personal vehicle? Think about that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I compare. It would be well, years well, of use in a personal vehicle. The, well, remember back in the day when you rolled bearings in a truck every two hundred fifty thousand? <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's oh. only you know, I'm uh, uh, three four oil changes. You would have been rolling a bearings in an engine or like the hey, line haul company i just mentioned not- they'd roll a whole engine in at three hundred thousand uh-huh. miles hell with the bearings just so, put a new engine wait in. a minute wait, wait a minute these are great non-emission engines we're talking about you never <laughs> had to touch them right you never have to do maintenance on a non-emissions <laughs> oh, yeah, engine right, right. yeah <laughs> hey, hey, well, uh, yeah yeah like like when people say on cars and trucks you used to be able to work on them but they forget you, you had, had to. to. You had to work right. on them. That was, that was the problem. <laughs> That's a good point. That's right. Hey, Henry, I... And I, the reason I think the the, I, the industry had so much knowledge on how to work on an engine was because we had to, so everybody could do it, you know, and, and you had to learn or the truck wouldn't move. So, no, I, I it's, uh, yeah, we're hey, a step uh, above where we used to be in Hey, hey, Henry, I, I, I want to address this before we get way off track, because it's going to happen. It always does. Um, the first thing I want to say is thank you for joining us, and I'd love to kind of make you a regular guest and contributor when you had have time going forward. The other thing about the, the four of us, I, I've got to figure something out. We've had calls on hold since we started. Um, we've already gone past the first hour mark and we could easily do another hour or two. It's like this every week. Um, I've got to figure out some sort of a format on this. Maybe we just dedicate the first hour. We don't even open up the phone lines because uh, we know we're going to burn through at least an hour. We have so many things to talk about. So, Henry, I, I want to get you in. There's so many things I want to ask you. I want you to share. Um it's just going to take time. We're probably not going to get to a, a ton of it today. I have one more topic I want to throw out, and I'm sure we'll spend 10 or 15 minutes on this, or maybe not. But uh, it, there's a video. I haven't even had a chance to watch the video yet. I, I will probably post it, but I, I read through the transcript of it. Um, here was the title. Jacobs demonstrates cylinder deactivation and active decompression technology. Um, they're calling it their dynamic skip fire software. Um, they're claiming that in their testing so far, they can cut fuel consumption by 25% and they're slashing NOx 77% and carbon dioxide 13%. Now, that I would have to believe is a lot like the Tesla run we just saw. That is absolute best case. That's impressive, though. Well, the the gearhead in me, and and I've heard and read things on this in the past, would be to have an engine that did not have a camshaft because the camshaft's always a compromise. You know the amount of lift duration and everything else you have in your center lines. To have it that you could. You know, we got our electronic fuel 
injection that changes the spray pattern and everything else infinitely, right? And and on gasoline engines, how we can affect the spark by computer. If we could affect the valve opening and get, you know, like right now, no matter what horsepower rating, you, you generally have the same camshaft in a diesel engine. The, the wizard behind oh. the curtain operating the ECM programs is a big wizard. If they had access to the camshaft profile through a hydraulically, electronically controlled actuated valve train, there's some stuff there to be had yet, I believe. Speaking Ooh, of which, uh, uh, yeah, let me jump in with can we something talk about because that a more? we can. But I, I got to, okay. since he brought up the camshaft, <laughs> it reminded me I had a note here. Um, I was supposed to ask about this, and I'm sure uh, both of you, or all three of you, may have some input on this. I didn't know this. Um, I had a call, Herschel bought that Volvo just recently. Mm-hmm. He had a major failure already. Mm-hmm. He had a uh, the lobe turn on the cam. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. How's there? Oh, these cams yeah, are modular now. Cam in there. Uh, they're they're press fit. They're hollow, so they're lighter weight. Um, and it uh, the first initial batch of cams, they were knurled on one side when they done the press fit, and not on both sides. And they were having an issue right out of the door with them flipping on the, that he had it the lobe would slip. Yep. Uh, so, so right now the new one that they'll replace it with will have the double neural and they will not move. Okay. But that, yeah, that is a, a thing. And it, it was for like a year and a half where they had that issue. Okay. Where they occasionally would move. Yep. Yeah. We see one yeah, and- on, on a rare occasion. Okay. And of course, yeah, it happens with teams, uh, with somebody like Herschel, who you know went through all the problems with his other truck, then finally said, "I've had enough. I'm going to go get a Volvo." And uh, unfortunately, <laughs> sure, within sure. A, a, a week, it was within a couple of weeks too. I mean, it happened to him really fast. So um, oh, it, it's good you. to know that they've identified oh, the please. problem, and it looks like they already have a fix. Yeah, the problem is fixed. There's there's no doubt. Yep. Got it. All right. So, uh, John, go ahead. Sounds like you had some thoughts there on the. Oh, I love what Henry was saying there. That's uh, that technology has actually been around uh, for a long time that you're talking about an automotive world. There's no reason it can't be on a diesel. And there may be some automotive diesels that have it. Um, I've got a 2008 BMW, a little one series, 128i, fantastic little little coupe. I bought it for my son to take to college, and he gave it back to me after he was done. And we still run it around. One of my daughters drives it now. Uh, but little, you know, manual with the with the small engine. It, it was not the high performance one, but it runs great and gets fantastic fuel mileage. But they've got two two technologies. BMW calls it Vanos and Valvetronic. Uh, Vanos is variable valve timing, which you see a lot of, and and probably should make its way into diesel engines uh, if it hasn't. Um, and the Valvetronic, it's a gasoline engine with no throttle body, Henry. It, it, it controls the airflow into wow. the engine by changing the lift. And it's all mechanical. It's got this really cool actuator that uh, moves a pivot point on the rockers. It's, it's an overhead cam, but it's got a little rocker assembly. Uh, that, and it moves the pivot point to reduce the, uh, the, the lift of the cam. So what you have is a gasoline engine with no pumping forces against vacuum, right? So if you're, you're pulling vacuum on a... Uh, 
on a on a on a on an engine there there's there's work there right it has to work to create that vacuum so there's no manifold vacuum you, you put a vacuum gauge on on my bmw and there's none uh it's, it's like a and that was 2006 i believe that engine came out mine's a 2008 and if you want to go back to computers controlling it infinitely uh f1 technology they've gone back to camshafts i think because of rules the stuff was expensive but they had pneumatically actuated valves that were completely controlled by the ECU. So it was an infinite cam profile, mm. infinite. Li- it, w- it was really cool. And that was uh, early to mid nineties. Uh, so yeah, this so what you're talking about is, you know, I guess the manufacturer should know about it and maybe choose to not spend the money on, on such intricate systems. I'm not sure, but uh, you're, you're absolutely correct about how much it controls what the engine does and, you know, how much air gets in and out and when, and, uh, and maybe with solar deactivation technology, it could be a thing again. Um, you know, that that's been perfected in the gasoline world. I mean, if you've got a, you know, a Hemi charger or something, it has cylinder deactivation, which is how a car that gets, you know, makes 500 horsepower, whatever the hell those things make still gets 20 miles to the gallon. If you, if you're not on it, but yeah, that that's got a really effective cylinder deactivation, uh, system on it. And, and Detroit's been at that for years, right? Weren't the old Series 60s would, would run on three cylinders to create more cylinder temperature or something, working a little harder when they're idling? Didn't they have a, no. a technology like that way back when? No, that's on the DD-15 they do that. And oh, some cases okay. even make it work against the Jake to warm it up quicker. Okay. Rotating it around on the cylinders. It, when, when, it, when it runs that way, I always call it, my term for it, the engineering term I have for it is the engine sounds grumbly. <laughs> because that's the best way mode, I know yeah. to describe this. Uh, yeah, it'll just be grumbly. So, so it turns. So if it works against the Jake, so it turns three three cylinders into an air compressor. Yeah. So there's a there's a there's just pop in compression, and the other three are working yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. It's more sophisticated than that. It's rotating which cylinder it is, so that's heating them all up. Oh. Okay. So so it moves oh, yeah. it along. So ever so it'll kill this one, that one, and then, then it bounces around. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it makes a. Gr- a grumbly sound. Yeah, grumbly <laughs> sound. All right. Hey, hey, let let let's do this because the four of us could go on forever. Uh, Henry, give us an update on like, uh, let's see, the most exciting thing you've learned about fuel economy in the last twelve months. In the last twelve months. Okay, in the last twelve months, that one's easy because I've had this truck about a year, and when it was built. It didn't have IPM in it, and how far that technology, intelligent powertrain management, where the truck reads the road a mile ahead of you, okay. was not working. And I just got it back this Monday, and you know I've been working on that project of trying to get double-digit fuel economy cruising at speeds up to 75, where safe, legal, and posted, and. Wow, the first day out of the box with it, it knocked out a 10.5 mile to the gallon run with an average speed for the day of 69 miles an hour and 703 miles traveled at 10.5. I was like, hey, that's so. That's really much technology helps us. That's really impressive, but I I have to correct you on something and inform you of the rules of this show here. Um, really impressive stuff, but no disclaimers <laughs> allowed here. 
You don't have to say we're safe and legal and posted. We're outlaws here. When it comes to when it comes to technology, anything goes. No disclaimers. Okay. Well, that, that was that was my own policy. I know, I know, but it's not allowed here. We'll, we'll cancel you for that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll leave it at where I could. There you go. That's right. That's right. Where it worked. Where it worked is all that matters. Um, yeah. All right. So, um, Henry, like I said, we, we're going to get you back in the future as probably as often as you're able to and like to. I think you'd make a great addition to this show. Uh, and over time, we'll get to more of your story and what's going on. But we've had so many people on hold. What do you say we get to some calls? That sounds good. All right. Good. Let's yep. uh, let's go to Indiana. We're going to start a fight here. Volvo versus Freightliner. Will, welcome. <laughs> uh, uh, first of all, I got to say, Kevin, um, I, I missed you when Road Dog decided to implode. And I just thought, hey, one day, let me let me see what Kevin's up to. He's kind of disappeared behind his paywalls. Oh, look, he's got an app with an audio stream. And I we, I love the app. We, we I run missed. Up, I'm running up to Canada. We, we missed one day. They canceled me on Thursday at the end of my show. I took Friday off to think about it, and we came back live on Saturday and Sunday of that weekend, and we've been live ever since. Well, I've been listening to you for months through the app, and I love the download feature because when I run up to Canada, I uh, don't want to burn off all my roaming data. Exactly. And so I download episodes, and I listen along, and it's it's absolutely fantastic. Um my second thing I want to talk about was I did watch the Tesla live delivery. Uh, Elon Musk was not on his A game. Thankfully, he had that guy there to bail him out half the time. Uh, the bearded guy, I don't know what his role was. And the CEOs for Pepsi and Frito Lay. Well, Frito Lay, they run four by twos, you know, single axles with light loads of chips all the time. I'm not surprised they're going to be loving that truck. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, hey, I can explain why uh, why I, why Elon is struggling these days. He's uh, he's on Twitter about nineteen of the twenty four hours a day. It seems like <laughs> seriously, <laughs> seriously. Um, but getting on to fuel efficiency and uh, technology here, you know the old adage. Uh, you know, every mile per hour that you're running is going to cost you a tenth of a mile per gallon. I'm running a 2016 D13. It's got uh, 917,000 miles on it right now. Its sweetness is definitely in the 60 mile per hour range. I run as slow as I can, as fast as I have to. So 99% of the time I'm doing 60 miles per hour. And yet we got Joel with his new TC stuff. We've got Henry with his new Freightliner and Clark Reed with his, you know, Enzo saying, hey, let's do 70, 75 and get 10, 10 and a half miles per gallon. And I'm just wondering, has that rule been thrown out the window? And would either of you swap trucks? Because now they both got dinettes and I'm like, that's a thumbs up on me on the interior and the driver lifestyle. Would either of you swap trucks? And has that rule every mile per hour, a tenth of a mile per gallon, has that been tossed out the window? Well, I'll take that. That rule never was. And the reason being, aerodynamics is a bell curve, so it's not a straight line. So at some point, a mile an hour, a mile per hour was a tenth of a mile of the gallon. 
But Arrow goes on a bell curve. It's not a straight line. So each mile an hour costs you more than the one before it. But with aerodynamics, yes, we've diminished that significantly. That if you had to put a figure on, I'd probably say it's probably closer to seven tenths per mile, but it depends which one it is. Cause like I do really good up to 72 mile an hour. Then I kind of start hitting the wall. It, it starts taking a pretty steep decline after 72. So with that, I'll throw that over to you, Joel. Is that what you're seeing yeah. as well? Well, yeah, the, the aerodynamic impact, as you're explaining, is, is huge, uh, uh, how it impacts that curve. The, the other thing that we often forget about is um, the mechanical parasitic drag kind of runs on that same type of curve. And when you look at Henry's truck with a 6x2, my truck with a 6x2, we've eliminated all kinds of gear mesh. We've eliminated a whole lot of lube oil in, in the system. And so as we're going down the road, speed and weight actually starts to become our friend because we have less drag. That momentum kind of is pushing a little bit further as well as the aerodynamic improvements Henry was talking about. So when you optimize with aerodynamics and you reduce that parasitic drag, and, you know, I, I know Freightliner's done some things similar to Volvo inside the transmission. They're coating gears. They have, you know, lube systems in the axles, and, and we're doing everything we can to not only improve the aerodynamic situation, but also optimize the parasitic mechanical drag that works on a very similar curve. And, and that's why you see these numbers pop. That being said, when Henry slows down and when I slow down, the numbers are really get mind-boggling at that <laughs> point. Um, yeah. I mean, they just, they just get crazy, stupid, good. So it, it, we are doing much better at higher speeds, but you will, you will still see ultimately better fuel efficiency at more moderate speeds. All right, John, your yeah. turn. I, well, I think in our the case our, of both of us, our, uh, John. Yeah, well, Sorry. I'm just going to say with, with four of us here, I think our format's going to be we take the question, somebody jumps in and answers <laughs> it, then we each take a turn. I'll be last, and I have a feeling with okay. you three ahead of me, I'm not sure if there's going to be much to say by the time you three are done. <laughs> uh, but go ahead, John. Well, I, I just have to back that all up. It's true. I, I deal with this with aerodynamics on cars all the time. It, it's, you know, it's actually worse than a bell curve, Henry. It's an exponential curve. So it, 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 the faster you go, the worse it gets. It, so your, your arrow drag from 65 to 67 increases a percentage. And then the next from 67 to 69, that, that, that percentage is based on some sort of, you know, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So, yeah, it, I, I love what you said there. Well, that was never a rule. I, I hate rules like that when people say, Oh, if you go this, it's going to be ten percent less that. Or if you if your trailer gap is this, it's going to be that. It's like there are no hard rules in any of that stuff. There just aren't. You know what was in front of it? How did you shape the air before it got to the back edge of the truck and so forth? And 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 what happened there? You know, so you can't. So I, I love the fact that you said that. And I guess your years on the road and working with this stuff has proven that. But. Uh, yeah, I just got to just have to back up what you said there. I love that. So I think you guys covered it pretty well, What what's happening there. And, John, you just gave me an opening. At least I'll have something to say. Um, this is what we would call a rule of thumb. Does anybody know where that phrase comes from? No. 
It goes way back. It probably um, involves a hammer hitting your thumb. Well, you're, you're close. <laughs> it, it, it goes way back to where, where a lot of different trades used their thumb as a measurement, the width of your thumb. It, it's an inaccurate, generalized kind of rule. It, it's not totally useless, oh. but it's not very accurate. It's a generalized rule. So we've talked about this in the past. That, And I've said it many, many times. That one-tenth for one mile per hour is a rule of thumb. The more aerodynamic you are, the less it will affect. The less aerodynamic, and that's just one. Then we talked about parasitic drag, rolling resistance on tires. You guys covered all that. So it was a rule of thumb. Here's another one that's always driven me crazy about fuel economy. The fact that everybody, we just saw it with Jacobs claiming 25% improvement on fuel economy, (laughs) except that is almost ass backwards from what happens in the real world. (laughs) Because we know the worse your fuel economy is, the more of a gain you tend to get from improvements. You guys know better than anybody. When you get up into the numbers you guys are talking about, it gets, you're never going to get 25% out of anything where you are now. The guy who's getting five miles to the gallon, we can probably improve him by 25%. So when we use percentages, that is, is, almost completely backwards to me. Uh, Kevin, can I add to that? Yeah. I remember when, and the last thing I wanted to do, and this was on the previous truck, was when ATD Dynamics was making the trailer tail. And and they were advertising 5 to 7% increase. And... Well, I was already at that point up in the nine five range, right. and I'm like, and, and 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 they were wanting me to put one on, and and I wanted to find a solution that didn't stick out the back like that, but I ended up doing it right, and to my surprise, on percentage, I picked up six point eight percent, and it threw me right into double digit land. So now, when we talk about so aerodynamics, that well, that could confuse the issue because we know when you start changing aerodynamics at the John, correct me if I'm wrong on this, at the back of the vehicle, it makes the aerodynamics effects on the front of the vehicle more effective. John, is that true? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, well, there, there's, there's, you know, there's a given drag at the back. You've got this big square box that creates a negative pressure behind it. And, you know, why you see some of the stuff like the trailer tail stuff that Steve's been working on, the, the diffuser thing that Smart Truck did, which was brilliant to, to feed some air up into that and fill it in. Uh, so now the front of the truck stuff, you go back around there and you're going to make a bigger difference there because you've so, so that drag at the back of the trailer is kind of being sim- similar to like uh, mechanical drag. It's just there. Right. You, you don't think about it. It's just there. But as soon as you, you know, put better wheel bearings in there, you do something else, you do some work on on your lubes or you get some, you know, the transmission becomes more efficient by whatever means. Um, you know, again, with the older trucks, like, like with, with Steve Crone's truck, we did all the, uh, WPC metal treatment and so forth on his gears and got all the drag out of the transmission and, you know, the thing runs. So if you make a change like that, that something that was a given, shall we say, like the back of the truck 
boom, it's going to be across the board. Now you're going to be able to jump back into the front of the truck and make some more differences around the sides. It, so yeah, exactly. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's could, one of those, one of those things that people consider a given. Could this all like also explain John, that? I, I, hold on one, one second there, Henry. So if we take a, uh, somebody's running a classic and no aerodynamics improvements at all, and then they throw a trailer tail on, this may be one of those cases where the rule I just talked about actually gets flipped backwards. So now what you've got coming down the vehicle is really, really dirty air and all kinds of turbulence. So is the trailer tail going to be very effective? It can't clean all that stuff up on its own. Whereas you take, you know, what Henry's got and Joel's got, you've got nice clean air coming to the back the trailer or anything you put back there becomes more effective now, right? Absolutely. It'll become more effective. And something like the trailer tail to me probably becomes more effective at higher speeds, uh, lower speeds that that's not yeah. that much. Yeah. That drag Good doesn't count for much, but that, that, that curve probably helps you out at high, at higher speeds. And, you know, Henry saw the 6.8% at the speed that he runs and he, he tends to run quicker than some guys. So it's, uh, you know, that probably is, it was a pretty big deal there. Yeah. I'm a believer in the back of the truck stuff. As you know, Steve and I are pretty tight and I love the work that he's done. I mean, it's just, it's a shame. It's not practical in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, the, the laminar flow pieces that I think the, the, what they call the ARD, the bit on the, on the roof of the trailer and the sides of the trailer and the, and the diffuser that deal that, uh, smart truck did to me were the most efficient and practical, uh, back of the truck, you know, things that I'd seen that, that little laminar flow, deal that would just direct air would either there would attach to it and would loop it back around and, and, and just try to fill in that gap behind uh really should have should have reduced drag so considerably all right henry you had another comment uh, yeah john adding to that and this goes to your racing background that's my background racing the the one thing that i found pretty cool on the aerodynamics with the truck the better you got it smaller things start making a bigger difference. And what I always compare that to is like in NASCAR, you know, putting a piece of duct tape in the grill at Daytona can make a pretty significant difference. But if you take your regular pedestrian or take a 69 Camaro and you put a piece of duct tape in the grill, yeah, <laughs> you're probably not going to see much. It's going oh. well, you'll see something. You'll see a piece of Alabama chrome laying on your grill. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh no, you nailed it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's uh, so the, the small changes make the biggest differences. I, I laugh, but that's because the rest of it's optimized, right? Yeah. Good point. You know, all of a right. sudden on your car, you know, on, 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 I know you did some oval track stuff and so forth, you know, you get the thing working pretty well and, you know, you're kind of dialed in and then all of a sudden you make a small shock change and the car went two tenths quicker. You're like, Holy crap. Now, if the rest of your stuff wasn't optimized, like you, if you were early in that process and still getting that car sorted out, and you spent that big money on the big on the on the good shock, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have noticed it. Good. Point. But now that you've rubbed on everything else, you've got it all optimized, and I call them last ten changes. In my time at my time at Pittsburgh Power, would see guys who want to would come in and insist on spending money on things, when meanwhile, you know, they got they got a bunch of arrow that's screwed up on their truck <laughs> and stuff flapping in the Charger, wind, and the alignment, all the, all the yeah. bushing. <laughs> 
Uh, the charge air cooler is leaking. The rear suspension bushings are worn out, so the axles are pointing in different directions. And, you know, I'm like, Let, let's do some maintenance yeah, first before you buy that manifold and turbo. You or, know, which which I which I'd get I'd, I'd get shit for because that was not the that's not the sales philosophy at Pittsburgh yeah. Power. It's buy that manifold and turbo first, and then then maintain your truck. But still, it's uh. I, I, I didn't get it because I'm all about optimization. Henry, you'd love the cars that I work on now, these prototypes, like like we run at Daytona. We're going to be doing the 24 hours of Daytona this year. I can make a two-millimeter ride height change and affect the way the car handles. It's unbelievable. It's so oh. much fun to work in, in that zone, you know, to be able to, to, to make that little two-millimeter change. And sometimes the drivers will look at me like I'm crazy. They'll come in and say the car is doing this, this, or this. And I'll radio to the guys. I'm like, hey, uh, drop the rear two-mill. And they're like, that's all you're going to do? I'm like, yeah, that's all I'm going to do. And he goes out and the car goes a couple of tens quicker. And they're like, oh, yeah, that fix it. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> well, it's funny. You, you said they look at you like you're crazy. Of course we're crazy. I mean, I remember <laughs> when I got looked at being crazy when I moved the trailer license plate, which turned out when they started figuring it out with the engineers when I was out with Freightliner, that it was somewhere between four and $700 a year to have the license plate hanging below your taillights, bucking the wind, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but of course they look at you like you're crazy. Yeah. That's, that's why you come up with this stuff, right? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. And, and I can't stop. I can't stop thinking about it. It's what I do. That's what I love about the fuel mileage game as well. Like uh, I, I'm dying to get the truck. I'd love to have so, a truck here to play with. I would just love to. I, right. I, I'm doing too well with what I do now to, to, to add that variable to my yeah. life. I, I right. hate to say it, but, uh, uh it's uh you know i would love to be able to have a truck out running right now and bring it back into the shop and and and, and rub on it here and rub on it there and you know get get to try things and then go out and put it to work uh you know joel does it i do it vicariously through joel but uh yeah it would i would love to do that it's 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 where i live all right before we start down the path of rubbing on things we should probably remember we actually had a caller and a question <laughs> oh god <laughs> 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 so let's stay off that path. Yeah, let's. <laughs> hey, you got to be careful. Henry's going to have to throw a disclaimer out yeah, here. I know, I know. Then I'm going to have to cancel him, and the whole show is going to go to hell. <laughs> so we we should we should probably bring back in the only sane person in this part of the conversation so far. Will, did we even answer your question? <laughs> Well, we didn't get the fight I wanted there about whether either uh, Henry or Joel would drive the other brand's truck. Now, you know, actually, um, like my brother, he's going to put a um, one of the new internationals into the fleet to evaluate it. We have run Freightliners in the fleet to do evaluation. Um, there's things I like, uh, there's no doubt they, they build a, a very nice truck. Um, if I was just a company driver, would I have problems jumping into a freight liner? Absolutely not. I, I, if they're perfectly, perfectly acceptable, they're very nice trucks. They, you know, um, have the potential to do very well. Obviously Henry and Clark are out there proving that every day. And, and, uh, I don't think that anybody builds a bad truck nowadays. I think everybody builds a, a, a pretty decent truck. Um, now that being said, when you get, you know, tearing into things and nuts and bolts and go to the degree that I'm going to with like the, the down speeding that I want to do, um, you know, personally, I, I, I think that the brand that I'm with Volvo is, is probably the, the only brand that can 
run down as as aggressively with the gear ratios that we're running because of the transmissions we have. Does that mean other trucks can't perform very, very well and get high fuel efficiency? No, it's just a different way of doing it. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've got no problem. Driving. In fact, I like to get into other brands and drive them um, just to keep me up to date on what everybody else is doing. For sure, for sure. Oh, there was one more thing I was going to ask. Henry, do you have the mirror eye system? Oh, that's a bad subject. Uh-oh. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. The reason I, the reason I, the reason I bring this up well, is, and, and, you know, No, no. The reason I say that Clark has it, you know, when he's in part yeah. of the Team Run Smart yeah. program that I am, and I'm so jealous of him <laughs> that he has it. And, 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 and another friend of mine has it. And then another guy I know with a Volvo has it. And I'm like, but, 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 and, and, and they're talking like 2% on the fuel. I've heard figures as high as, and the view they have at night and the no rain spray in your mirrors and everything that seems positive about it. And the only thing I find wrong with it is I don't have it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, the, the, the reason, the interesting point about this, um, I know like Maverick is running them on a lot of their trucks. They got both you know, the mirrors and the mirror eye, but Tesla, when they announced their truck to begin with was going to be using cameras, right? But the trucks they are delivering do not have it. They have their traditional West coast mirrors. Hey, well, well, you know, I, I was just saying that between Henry, Joel and John, by the time they're done, there's nothing left for me to say. (laughs) I had one comment I was going to make about this and that was the Tesla mirrors and you stole my thunder. <laughs> I, I'm going to become irrelevant here soon. Uh, there was one other thought that I had, and now I lost it. So I am becoming irrelevant. I'm going to move on to another call. Maybe it'll come back to me. Oh, no, I know what it was. We, um, we, we with all this talk of, you know, international Freightliner Volvo, we got to get Jamie involved here so we can show some love into the Mac guys too. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So we could probably get that arranged. We need to do that. We should make that happen. Yeah. yeah. We need to get him in here. He's always got interesting stuff to say. This, uh, this will become a, uh, a giant conference call here soon. If we keep this up, we'll get, we'll get all of it, us in and we'll will, go five hours like with a, no calls. It's, it's kind of like a steel cage match. Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There you go. Let's, uh, let, let's get to some calls here. Let's go to Texas. Kevin, welcome to the program. Well, after listening to you guys, I, my, my statement kind of seems in, insignificant. <laughs> well, throw it I out there. Gonna, I, I watched that. Well, I watched that Tesla video when Joel put it up, and uh, I thought the only thing that I thought was impressive is whenever it steals the power going up the hill, that it can regain some of that power after it on, on the way back down. But I had the same exact question as Joel did. Well, how much does the truck weigh? How much? But, Joel, you did forget one thing. Mm-hmm. They did bring a load of chips back for them people to snack on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. They did. <laughs> but, uh, and also I had another thing on, on the, 
they're they're incorporating uh evs and evs is getting big into motocross kevin you know i've raced motocross and you used to but they uh i have a buddy of mine she has a little uh 65 she's like eight and she has a ktm 65 and she also has an electric and that electric bike is just as fast as that 65 so who's it's faster on the low end who's making electric motocross bikes and what sizes are available well uh about three or four years back and i think it was at 18 i raced against a an orange one now i don't know exactly who made that ev but he had no trouble keeping up with us and i'm i got 11th in the state this year so i'm what, not i'm not just dragging around the, you know you're you raced 250 class is that right? I raced the 450. 450. I raced the 450 class. So, so is, is that really a class now? That used to be open class. No, no. The 450s are, uh, you have to remember back when you raced, it was two strokes. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. 450 is <laughs> yeah. the new 250 class for four strokes. They, they had to get the 450 yeah, to make them faster. Exactly, oh, holy. But they so, make as yeah. much, yeah. Is there still but, an open class? Close. Yeah, no. there is. A, there is the the so the, like I race the over fifty class, and it's a it's a over fifty over fifty open. But uh, well, I mean, engine yeah, her, size. Her little KTM. Yeah, you mean you mean like the five hundred? There's yeah, nothing what like used to be the the five, and, and it was it. open. I right. mean, there was no well, real limit on what the engine size was. It was just what was available. But you could race anything in the open hmm. class. Right, right, but the you but the CR five hundred two stroke, it's right there around yeah. the same power as the new four fifties are are putting out. Okay, but now we're That's how much technology has changed. Well, I guess it has. Now the electric. Now to answer to answer your question, her little her little electric bike is made by KTM. Kawasaki is has a. a motocross uh bike now and as far as the sizes i'm not exactly sure but hers is comparable to like a a 65 interesting that that his daughter that may be just yeah. enough to get me to go buy one well and they have <laughs> and a, down here in texas where i race we actually have electric classes now wow okay there's I actually may have to look a, into it, that it, it's becoming it's becoming quite. It's becoming uh, quite popular. I mean, the I, very. I, I mean, you basically. You know, here's, now it does have a chain. Here's the interesting but, thing about that, and and when I first saw Nicola built that that quad, that off road, you know, and and you got thinking about. A lot of the issues you deal with in, in motocross or any of this off-road stuff, weight distribution, where's the weight? And you were so limited by the fact that the heaviest part of the the vehicle was the engine and you could only put it in so many places. Whereas now the batteries being see, the heaviest part, you can kind of customize where they are. Exactly yeah. what they're doing. What they're doing is they're putting the weight distribution of the battery up there where the engine was because you are right. You only have two wheels, and whenever you jump on the 
whenever you're in the air, depending on how bad kilter you are, you're going to go forward or go backwards. And of course, you know, if you're, you know, or you can, so they try to keep it in the middle. Yeah. With the engine, the, the height of the engine restricted, you know, where it could be. It wasn't just front to back. It's, it's top to bottom. You know, you can change a lot of yeah. the handling characteristics by moving that weight somewhere other than where it had to be with an engine, both back and front and exactly. top and bottom. Yeah. Exactly. And that's what they've also done uh, with the newer bikes. If you'll look at the newer bikes, the engine, they have made the frame where it's a little bit more raked, but they put the jug weight, which is not that much. But... You know, you know, you're always on the middle of the bike. Remember back in the eighties and it's still like that today. Except back then they had the, the pad go up along the gas tank so you could actually put your privates on there so you oh, could have a good low so, a good center of gravity. So I have a funny story <laughs> about that. I when the um when the R M first came out, the Suzuki R M when they switched from the T M that was probably at the time the closest to a factory bike you could get for a, for about a year. Suzuki had a big advantage um, with the RMs, and I I bought one the first year they came out. I actually bought the 100, and I was racing in the 100 class because I couldn't ride the 125. It, it was taller, more suspension travel, all kinds of stuff, and I was so short and light at the time I just couldn't ride it. Um, but a buddy of mine, um, he, he was several years older at the time, uh, they, their whole family was into racing. He bought the RM400, and that was the big open class version for them. Um, I tried riding that thing, and it was there was nothing I could do to hold the front end down. If I wanted any kind of acceleration at all, I could not. I could climb up and sit my ass on the gas cap and i still couldn't hold the front end down <laughs> uh, well i have that problem i have that problem with my 450 uh i'm only five six and what i did is i you know the seat is real thick well in motocross the only time you're sitting anyway <laughs> or the only time you should be sitting is when you're cornering right so what i did is i shaped I shaved my seat. Have you seen those trial bikes? Oh, yeah. Where they're kind of yep. like a V on the top? Yep. That, that's what my motocross bike resembled because I have shaved oh, so hey. much of the foam off of the seat where I could get actually have a decent uh, platform without using on the starting gate without using starting blocks. And also, Speak. before I get off of here, I would like to say, Remember, I was the guy that was telling you I was monitoring my heart rate while I was racing, and it was oh, yeah. like 165 beats a minute. Yeah. I got the X3 bar. I got the X3 bar, and I was working out like three weeks before the state championship race over there at the, at Underground in uh, Kemp, Texas, and it dropped my heart rate uh, 25 beats per minute awesome uh yeah 25 beats per minute so i was down there around 142 that's incredible that's probably the hardest i've ever ridden i was not fatigued 
I, I, I wasn't breathing real hard, just uh, just using that X3 bar, and I and I didn't think it would be that big of a deal. And I also lost about 17 pounds with no Excellent. no change. Wow. Excellent. What I hey, was doing or, or anything you, else. You, you mentioned something that got my attention. Imagine the advantages you could create with an electric trial bike. Oh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. The torque. Because the torque is like. Yeah, I watched them, Kevin. Is that right? I'm sorry, John, go ahead. Those electric trials bikes, that that was phenomenal. That has to be incredible. They were able to have on them. Yeah. Uh, it, it looked like something that man shouldn't be able to do. <laughs> you know, they were getting to that point on trial bikes, period. It was just incredible, the crazy oh. stuff they were doing. But thinking about the advantages with an electric in that field are that pretty big. John, did you well, have a comment? I'm, I'm, I, just, I just Googled that. You, you, Kevin, you have to do this when we're done. Just Google electric trials riding. It's, uh, it's unreal. I'll bet. I'll bet. I never even thought about that. It's insane. Yeah. And I, I think and that's I race, forever changed. Yeah. I <laughs> raced one of those bikes. And on my 450, I raced one of those in 18. And that guy right there, it was kind of funny because you know how on the gate, you're revving your engine, right? <laughs> right. But that electric bike doesn't have a clutch. I he know. was just sitting there, and I, and I, I just seen his grip throw, and he was gone. <laughs> I mean, he well, he was way out front. Now, eventually, about five of us caught him and, and got him in the end on the straights because that's where our bikes start making really good power. But as far as the starts, it, it's hard to keep up with that fella, especially if it's cornering really well because that's well, where all your good stuff is, is down low on an electric bike. Yeah, well, I told the story. The, the one track I used to race at a lot had that stupid rubber band start. So the people down at the far end had a big disadvantage. So they would use the, the, you had to put your throttle hand on your helmet. And bef- uh, and then once the sound went off, you could take your hand off your helmet. It kind of took away that advantage somewhat, except for the guy who had a Can-Am with a centrifugal clutch. He got off the line a whole yeah. lot faster than everybody else did. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was your left hand that had it. You could have the throttle hand on, but your left hand. So you had to take your hand off your helmet, grab your clutch, get it into gear and go. And he could leave his hand up on his helmet and just go because he had a centrifugal clutch. Yeah, he won the whole the shot recluse. every week. Yeah, that was a, they, they have the recluse that does that now. And it's basically just like an automatic. You choose the gear you want to go and it will work the clutch. To where you just ride yeah. like an automatic. It's yep. insane. Yeah. Crazy stuff. But all anyway, right. that's all I got, guys. I, I appreciate you, Kevin. Plenty. Yeah, we should probably move along. Hey, we've got uh, <laughs> we've got another another celebrity with us. Herschel, welcome. Hey guys. How you doing? Well, okay. So Joel mm-hmm. on, on that cam chat. Mm-hmm. When you say they are knurled on both sides mm-hmm. of the lobe, does that mean they got a redneck in the back room spot welding them on? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Everybody's a comedian today. Uh-huh. So, so those those cams are interesting. Ford's been doing that since the modular came out. The the, the 
that keep some of the weight on the top of the engine down with these lightweight camshafts. And I'm not sure if Volvo's using the same method that they use to build them so that a fixture that would hold the lobes in place, they slide the tube in the middle that was knurled on the inside, maybe should be knurled on the inside of the lobes as well. Or I'm not sure what's going on with the Volvo thing. And then they get this ball bearing and, and hydraulic oil and push the ball bearing through the middle of the tube and expand it and create the press fit for the, for the lobes. It's really clever. So I'm, I'm not sure if Volvo does that same, same method or not, but uh, it's a, it was really neat when Ford came out with it 20 years ago. But uh, it's uh, interesting. And the cams are super light, which is rotating mass, which you know you like to get rid of. That's fine. Well, that's all I fine. Hope it's not a next spot will be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Joel, mm-hmm. looking through. I asked for an owner's manual, and of course mm-hmm. they got me the wrong one. They got me the one for the VNR, not the VNL. So I thought, well, mm-hmm. the engine's the same, so I'm reading the book. Mm-hmm. And it says mm-hmm. 10W30 for the motor oil grade viscosity. Mm-hmm. And it does mm-hmm. say regular stuff, not synthetic. But mm-hmm. they say it's VDS 4.5, which is a rating that Volvo yes. created on their own. So I asked the guys at the dealer, what is that? If I can't get this 4.5, which I probably can only get from you, and I'm in 10 no, you, you can get You can get it anywhere. Uh, like Rotalo, that's VDS 4.5. Virtually all the motor oils out there are VDS 4.5. Okay, but is that CK, CJ, CI, FA4? When, when you, if you Google it, if you Google that uh, uh, VDS 4.5 spec, it will give you the entire list, and it is huge. I don't remember the correspondent because it changes so often anymore. I can't keep it straight, but um, it, it's nothing exotic, and it's nothing out of the ordinary. It's just a, a stamp that Volvo puts on it as well. The one that's a little bit harder to get is the VDS 5 uh, um, version that's out right now. Yeah, the, the newer, and it's because they're having issues with supply chain getting the getting the stuff to make the oil. Um, it's not because it's it's some extraordinary oil. It's just supply chain issues that everybody's having that problem. But uh, VDS four point five is available. You can probably go to Walmart and get an oil that meets four point five, and you can do semi synthetic, full synthetic, or regular oil. It'll all meet the the VDS four point five. Okay, I was talking to the guys in the shop. I thought, well, Kevin always says, ask why. So mm-hmm. I was talking to them. I said, is this one of the engines that has the exhaust plunger you have to worry about and lock tight so they hold? Or is this the new style? And the guy said, well, I don't know. Let me look in there and see. So he did. Well, mm-hmm. it's the old style that you talk about lock tighting. And they actually mm-hmm. are members of your Alpha Drivers Facebook group, actually. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe I got mechanics that kind of know what they're doing. So I said, well, I've heard Joel say that you can change that and make it so that you don't have to worry about that problem. And he said, yeah, but we don't know what it costs. We'll have to quote it out. So they did. Mm-hmm. 4600 mm-hmm. bucks for those. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's cheaper to Loctite. <laughs> I said, Loctite the hell out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just every year when you do the overhead... Every year when you do the overhead, just have them have them verify that they're in adjustment and 
and uh, you won't you won't ever have an, an issue with it. So if if you do that, um, if you do that overhead every year, verify the adjustment um, and the other the other things that I talk about, uh, retorquing the injector hold downs. Um, you you won't have injector issues, and you you just you're not going to have problems with it. Okay, so Kevin Rutherford, I got one for you real fast. All right. Um, I obviously have had your app for a long, long time, but I have never logged in or signed in. I just downloaded it and used it to listen. Correct. So the other day I got it and it popped a little thing on the screen there that said to log in. And I thought, hmm, wonder if it'll be different. So I did. I just used my login that I've had with you for a long time. So I logged in and I was listening to one that was a previous show. And I needed to stop and get out of the truck or whatever. So I hit pause just to see if I could come back to it being logged in. And I'll be damned. It did. It held the spot where I was when I came back. Yeah, we we haven't really talked a lot about this yet because the app is still changing a lot and, and will continue to change. But there are big advantages now in the app to signing in. Um, if you don't sign in, it's just generic. We have no idea who you are, what you've listened to before. Um, we don't track any of that kind of stuff on the app itself. So when you do log in, the server adds a lot more power to the app now. So when you log in, you're now connected to our server and we know who you are. So we know what shows you like you. So now you can start to you know, click your favorites so you can go back and find them easily. There, there's going to be a lot of advantages to signing in. So I haven't tried it yet, like what we're doing right now, a live. Of course, I'm on the phone with you, but will the pause feature work during a live stream? So if you need to hop out of the truck, you pause, you hop back in, and it just picks up where you stop. Does it do that on live yet? They, you know... I can't give you the total answer to that question. I know it's something they've been working hard on, and I haven't got it, even though Aaron and I spent about three hours on the phone yesterday, we were working on a totally different project, and we didn't even bring up the app at all. That has been one of their biggest challenges, but they, they are working towards that, so you will have full control over even the live show like that. Now that would be cool. XM had one receiver that would do that probably 12 years ago, and theirs hasn't even done it in years, but I dropped them like a hot rock, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, but, you know, Yeah, I just <laughs> the, the way my XM worked, I would play it through my phone and my car play when I was in our vehicles. Um, I actually hated the way theirs worked because it – Every time you would either shut off the vehicle or whatever, it would go into some sort of pause mode, but then I would come back and I'd be like two and a half hours behind. Well, it's news. I I don't want to be, I don't want to hear all that crap. Just put me back to where, you know, where the live show is now. And you would have to hit fast forward about 30 times just to get that thing to go back to being live. Yeah, it, Gotta just, love technology. it made me crazy. So we're, we're trying to, to improve that, but that is a real programming challenge. Our, our team has been working pretty hard on, on figuring out hacks to make that work the way it should. So when the engine is done, Kevin, they just called me today. They think maybe this afternoon, maybe 
or in the morning is going to go from the Volvo shop, the dealer, to my local regular guy that I've used forever because Volvo can't figure out the fifth wheel. So I'm going to go to my regular guy and have him put the fifth wheel on it. The fifth wheel that I got would not work. Contacted Holland, got real part numbers, got the bushing kit from Holland. It said Holland on the box. They still won't work. The pins and the bushings, all different sizes. Well, I found mm. out it's a simplex fifth wheel, which Holland bought out the simplex a number of years ago, and they just can't cross-check the parts. So I called Ronnie. I said, Ronnie, I need you to put me a real Holland with the bolt sticking out the front so you can adjust the damn thing. He said, bring it yeah, Ditch that simplex. Those things have a nasty reputation for letting go of trailers. Uh, there we had them years and years ago ditch ditch that thing as fast as you can put a real holland or put a yost on it and and ditch that simplex absolutely so if, so if you don't see a bolt sticking through the front it's not a real holland even though it's stamped holland because holland bought out simplex if you look at your mm -hmm. jaw where the pin goes in if you look at the jaws standing at the back of the truck on the right side passenger side of the jaws there's this goofy-looking, mm -hmm. almost looks like a stop sign, head of a bolt mm -hmm. kind of look. Mm -hmm. That actually is how you adjust it. You take the pin loose, you raise it up, but it's only got three notches. And then once you're done with those three notches, you're done. Don't, and they're, they're just junk. Don't all bolt heads look like a stop sign? Well, kind of. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> hey, all right, all right, all right. I got a good one then for you. <laughs> what? Your buddy that was older than you at the time, dirt bike racing, he's still older than you. Um, not if he's dead. <laughs> I don't well, know if he is yeah, or not. You might be catching up. <laughs> This is catching up. Right, right. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, and Carrie All right, guys, I'll let like you be. All right, there you go. What's that, Henry? Carriage bolts do not look like a stop sign. Uh, you, uh, there are some, right? I know there are some with more sides and all that. But the funny <laughs> thing was, right out my window is a stop sign, and it's really goofy. It's been this way for about three months. Um, the top bolt came off, so it flipped upside down. It, it's still hanging there, and it looks right, except the fact that it's upside down. And when he was saying the bolt looks like a stop sign, I was staring at the stop sign, and I'm like, well, all bolts look like that. <laughs> yeah. Or at least the majority yeah. of them. You're not pretty really much. distinguishing a bolt when you say it looks like a stop sign. Yeah, that's pretty much most of them. Uh, all right, let's get to another call. Yep, said. There you go. Let's go to uh, Wisconsin. Rick, welcome. Hi, how are you guys today? Good. What's on your mind? I've got a truck you hate, and I'm looking to try and get a little better fuel mileage with it, but I've got kind of a unique um, application. I've got a 2021 W900L 565 1850. 18-speed, 336-rears, low-pro, 22-Michelin. Um, truck's got 177000 on it. I have a 280-inch wheelbase with a flat top, which I know you guys are going to hate. Half the time, I pull a 8-foot-tall Conestoga. I've got about 8 feet between the back of the bunk and the front of the trailer. Um, part of the time, I pull 
rock crushers that have long overhangs that overhang the cab. And that's why I need that wheelbase difference. So I can't shorten the truck up, can't shorten the trailer gap up. So I'm gonna, um, right now I'm doing six. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm going to, I wanted to jump in quick before somebody else did. I'm going to take this one first this time. So I get to say something here. Here's what I heard in all of that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take those damn tires you mm-hmm. just mentioned, those low-profile, low-rolling-resistance Michelin tires. I want you to take them off, and then I want you to start building a new truck on top of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, right now, my 90-day average is 6.3. I'd like You're to improve it. Um. I average about 67 miles an hour. Um, I run pretty local, only about 60,000 miles a year. And sometimes I'll have to run well into the seventies to make appointments and whatever. But most of the time I'm very strict about staying about 67 miles an hour. What can I do to improve it? And my trailer also has Michelin as well. So, XDEs on the trailer, XDEs on the steers, and XDA5s on the tractor. So I'm going to stay out of this one, except XDA I'm going to ask fives. you one question, and then I'm going to turn it over to Henry first this time. Um, the only question I have, I heard nothing in this whole mix except maybe the tires that would actually improve fuel economy. Have you done anything to the truck at all? Any kind of modifications that would improve fuel economy or... Have we even made sure that charger cooler isn't leaking overhead set right? Have we got any recent oil samples? Um, oil samples are all perfect. Um, I've sampled every oil change since it's new. Um, have not tested the charger air cooler. I was actually probably going to do that here and when I take it in for an overhead here between Christmas and New Year's. Um, the truck's got 177000 on it, so that's kind of when I figured I was going to do it. Okay, and no other modifications? Um, it's lowered. Okay. That's right. about it. So, all right. I'll I let, don't know uh, if that helps or not with a classic, but it, uh, it looks cooler. I'll let the other three jump in, and I have a feeling we could take about an hour on this one. Henry, you, you want to? giving me first. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'll take that one first. The, the, the first one that'd be the cheapest to me would be to cut the power down on it. Because if you have the power with everything being non-aerodynamic, the truck's going to use that power. And if you're using power, you're burning fuel. That'd be my first quickest easy mod. Those rock crushers are upwards of grossing 110, 120,000 pounds though, when I'm, you know, loaded up. So it gets rather heavy. So I kind of need the power for that. So what we're what what well I I would argue a little bit with that part because you know when I'm at these truck shows and I see these old trucks that move four hundred fifty thousand and they didn't have but one hundred eighty horsepower somehow they got there so we we got spoiled on that we we spend so much time thinking about how we go uphill and my my saying I always put on this and I look at it like the racetrack. It's not, and John will second this, it's not who gets in the turn first, who gets off the turn first, who gets in the straightaway first. It's who can do the whole thing. Most of it's flat. And where it's not flat, half of that's downhill. So why do we worry so much how we do going uphill when it's the smallest okay. kind of thing we do all day, even though it's the most memorable? Okay. 
now, I, I think we could also add to that a good optimized tune could be effective. Yeah, I got a different, a little bit different, a little bit of a different take on this because this is such a specialized operation where you're, you're pulling a heavy rock crusher. It overhangs the cab. There's nothing aerodynamically pretty about this at all. Honestly, for the speed you're running with the ugly freight you're pulling, 6.3 is probably not all that horrific. Um, kind of my if you're only running 60,000 miles a year and this is your dedicated stuff just as long as you're one of the few times you're ever going to hear me as long as your rate's good enough on this stuff um there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do with this if you have okay. to run that fast you're going to need the horsepower in order to run that fast if you can moderate the speed like henry says cut the horsepower it requires horsepower to run that high speed with that aerodynamically ugly stuff that you're pulling. If, uh, okay. if you can moderate speed, which is probably the biggest thing that you could do, then you could also moderate the horsepower and probably get a, a bigger bang for your buck. But uh, this is just one of those situations where, you know what, there's not a hell of a lot you're going to do. A plain and okay. simple. Because I know when you I pull could. an open trailer, if I pull an open flatbed with this truck, I'll get mm -hmm. just on those trips upwards of six, eight to seven, two, depending on wind and stuff. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I feel like the truck's capable, even when I pull my Conestoga for six months a year, I feel like I'm capable of doing high sixes. I just don't know what, I, what else I have to do to get there. Well, just to give you some benchmarking or frame of reference, I helped a guy in, in uh, Tennessee set up a, a Volvo like mine to pull a Conestoga and we optimized everything. He is consistently in the mid nines with it um, all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is kind of one of these things you got to look at. Okay, this is what I'm doing. I've got crazy things overhanging the cab. I've, rock crushers are just, you know, they're parachutes. They just are. I don't know how often you're running those, but if it's a big part of your duty cycle and it's a big part of your income, I, I, what are we going to do here? I mean, there's there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to, to change. You, you could put fleet air filters in it. You can do what, you know, Kevin talks about it. You could possibly put a, a, a tune on it. You know, I personally not a fan, but there are people that say they can have great results with, with putting a tune on it. I like Henry's idea of cutting the horsepower back as much as possible. But if you have to run that high speed, that requires horsepower to drag that stuff through the wind. Um, 6.3 for what you're doing is not horrific. Um, but mm -hmm. again, you know, with the way fuel prices are, any little bit that you can get is, is definitely going to help. So, you know, I kind of like the idea of, of looking at the fleet, fleet air filters, looking at synthetic axle lubes, like the spicer lube that I like to put in the axle. That's good for, you know, 1.3 to 1.7%. different than the factory synthetic? Yeah, it is. Um, okay. it, it's, it is a little bit more efficient. Um, you know, all those types of things will help to some degree. Um, mm -hmm. Are you ever going to have a nine mile a gallon truck here? No, no, no. And no. I'm not looking for that. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like yeah. to consistently get it to seven or above. I mean, I think that I'd be making profit on filter chargers and yeah, stuff like that. I don't know that I can those, do it, but I, I'm willing to try. At those speeds with what you're pulling, that's, that's going to become a, a, a difficult, a difficult thing. Um, 
unless you can slow down. If you can manage your time and slow down, you'll definitely be able to get to seven. If you got to run 67 to 72, 73 mile an hour, it's going to be extremely difficult to get there with what. Okay, you're 65 a better speed or even slower? Uh, and, because and, you know, the way anything slower is better. Okay. The way I'm thinking, you're geared 62-ish is probably going to be it's right between 12th spot. and 13th, or between 17th yeah. and 18th is the problem. Yeah. So I'm either at yeah. 15, 1617th, or you know, 1218th. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that you might consider, and and John might have uh, a thought on this. So the 565-1850 is what they consider is that their performance series or yes. their productivity yes, series. So their economy series engines or their downsped engines in the 500, they do produce horsepower at lower RPM. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why they're the efficiency series. So there is an outside chance if you could take that 565-1850 and go to the 500 economy setting to where it would produce horsepower at lower RPM. Um, you may be able to run 62 in in the top gear, um, possibly. The okay. the other option you have is possibly doing a re-ratio and taking it down to 264s or 247s, but you're talking about a whole lot of money and, um, you know, who knows if you're going to make the payback. Now, what's the gradeability then? I can. Startability. Um, what's the grade of yeah, the startability on that when you get into 100, 125,000 pounds? Uh, you should, with 264, you should still make it with the 18 speed. I don't know what your deep reduction is there, but you'll probably still make the startability. You're just going to make it, though. Um, I'd have to look okay. everything up. I haven't I haven't played with their transmissions in a while. But the startability what, calculation, you should be able to Google it and and see where you're at for and the one you need thing, your tire size and your the one your thing to reduction. keep in mind on that startability is even if you're slightly out of what's recommended, it's not that big of a deal. It's like we run transmissions, you know, past their torque ratings all the time and with a good driver, if you're a little sure. bit out of that, you're not yeah, gonna I, have a problem. I agree okay. with Kevin. If if you're the only one driving that yeah. truck, if you're going to have other I drivers am. in that truck, you, yeah, be careful. Yeah, no one else drives I, it. I now, what about a 308? That, the, the, uh, uh, wouldn't that put a lot of strain on his drive shaft as well if it's not set up for? Direct? Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, technically, what should happen is the the drive shaft should be upgraded when you do that re ratio. I. I I am uh, 100% on board with you there, Henry. It, it definitely should be. If, you know, you're the only guy driving a truck and you're going to be very careful with it, you could probably, you know, do a workaround. If you're doing all this work yourself and you can throw drive shafts in it and throw the gears in it um, and it's not going to cost an arm and a leg, upgrade it all. Um, you have to be sure. real careful when you do that because you do stress the, the drive drive shaft. Now, being that you're kind of in a heavy haul situation, I don't know what the truck was spec with drive shaft wise. A lot of times they will upgrade that drive shaft on a truck that's in that type of service. You may already have the big drive shaft in it. Um, I believe I do. It's got what they call super forties in it for rear ends. I you can't probably, remember the exact you probably number, do then. But yeah, they're, yeah. they're they're full lockers and everything else. So it's yeah. all it's basically yeah. a okay. forty four thousand pound rear end and a forty thousand pound yeah. housing. To try so and keep it lighter. You most likely have that that great big drive shaft that looks like the I do. I do. Um, welded. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't yep. have to worry about that. Awesome. 
Okay. Oh, and uh, it was 308 kind of the answer there? Limited. Well, you could go sure. 308. That, that's going to kind of split the, the difference. Um, anything's probably better. Well, no, you, no wait a second. Don't forget. to be we, careful here because the, uh, the, the performance series engines make horsepower at higher RPM. And if we downspeed this without changing the programming of the engine to make horsepower at lower RPM, you may not be happy with that. So you just okay. can't take your 565, 1850 that might make horsepower at 1600 RPM peak and then mm-hmm. downspeed it to where you're only running at 1200 RPM and never get to that horsepower that you have. You'll never get the south okay, yeah, hour. Because I will say this, this thing is an absolute turd under 1300 RPM. He, uh-huh. It does no not pull much there. under there. What if we plugged in two ninety threes? Can you even get those? Well, yeah, you can. I mean, you you can go to a salvage yard and you get two seventy nines, two ninety sevens, three hundred eights, all that. What really should happen here is we should probably you, you need to take a look at the horsepower and torque curve that you want to use and then do a tractive effort calculation to match that torque curve and get it right. Okay. You know, we're throwing around numbers and we're kind of guessing right. just based off the seat of our pants, what we remember, how things work. And if you really want this to work right, get that horsepower and torque curve. I think you can Google tractive effort calculation on, on Google. It's, 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 okay. It's long, but it's not really all that difficult. Plug the numbers in and get get to where you should be and, and make sure that your torque and horsepower curve match up with your gearing so this thing works right. Sure. Okay. Isn't, yo, isn't that transmission he has a point seven three? Seven three it is, yeah. Pro- should be, yeah. Uh, probably. Yes, it's yeah. a double over. Yeah. Yeah, so a, with a three oh eight, you you'd already be at Almost right around a 225 off the top of my head. So I've got my uh, I've got my calculator out. You should have what right point? Now. A lot of times, what these guys want to do is they want to when they're running under heavy load, they want to run in direct. So I, I know 264, 247 will allow you to run that direct, but your startability is going to take somewhat of a hit when you do that. And mm-hmm. again. We don't want to get too aggressive on the downsped gears with the Cummins simply because of the architecture of the engine and the way it makes power. Like you said, your 565 is kind of a dud under 1300, um, and that makes sense because peak is, I believe, around 1600 RPM on that. Now it is put a different a different tune in it to where it's like the the 500 uh 1850 downsped version or economy version it will make horsepower down around i think 13 or 1400 and i think you get okay. to work a little bit earlier as well which may be beneficial to you okay well i'll look in to see what that tune can go for or possibly even talk with pittsburgh power about them putting a custom tune in it that could yeah, uh, me, uh do a little better let me jump in on that I know Leroy's been working on some, uh, well, he was a few months ago when I last talked to him on some fuel mileage type tunes. Uh, that 565 Cummins, that thing overperforms. It, it makes every one of those we dynoed while I was there, that, that's, that, from a performance standpoint, that's probably their best engine. Those things would actually put 565 to the ground. So I think they're really underrated at that. That's a, that's a pretty stout engine, power-wise anyway. Um, 
yet. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen any rods come through solder blocks of them lately. So I think they've got some stuff sorted out with the, with the, with the tuning on that. But I, I think Leroy could probably help you out. And I know PDI is doing some fuel mileage stuff now too, if you want to go that route. But okay. uh, I, I'm going to jump in on, you know, we, we, we tend to miss um, maintenance. Again, not so much maintenance stuff, but there, there are things you could do. You said you have it lowered, but you know, make, sure you're, get, make sure your alignment's on. You know, get, get your rear axles yes, going straight. Make yep, sure everything was right aligned here and, uh, two months ago. Yeah, yeah I mean, get, get all the, get, you know, any of the vectoring out of the rear axles. Just don't bother with that. Um, you know, the right lubes, like Joel said, get some nice light synthetics and everything. Uh, the doctor preload on the wheel bearings, everything you could do to get parasitic drag out of the drive line, because mm-hmm. other shit sucks, right? Right. So, you, so any of those, any of those things that you can do to get drag out of it, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go go to the nth degree on that stuff. And I'm gonna have to, you know, I, I think you should do some sort of a tune. Uh, again, not for higher horsepower. I mean, I, I know, I know, Leroy's done some work to. You know, to move the power curve down a little bit, and he's even gone to the extent of, I believe, remapping the way that VGT works and so forth to get get you some more bottom end. But as Joel said, that's not designed to be a downsped engine, and uh, you're okay. going to end up with, uh, you know, you you could, you know, the, the the angles on the connecting rods in an ISX are just so extreme that if, mm-hmm. if you work the thing, you know, too too low, there's a good chance it spits one out. So it's you have to be careful with it. And I had a 12.7 uh, yeah. Detroit that I was doing this operation with years ago, and uh, I put a window and a block on one of them. So, uh, John? Okay, I got you, yeah. John? Yeah. yeah. That, that one yeah. was turned way up, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can, can, Leroy, can Leroy do the tractive effort calculation for him so they can kind of line uh, up it, the power curve if to, the, any, to the gearing, right? If anyone, if anyone under that roof can do it, it's him. So yeah, okay. He, he probably ask him. You know, ask him if, yeah. if if he can do it because that would be the way to get it right instead of just giving a yeah. number that is kind of an overarching number. We want to get this right so it works for you. And and I don't know what he sure. can do with the power curve. And obviously he's going to have the details on that. And then if you guys can run some tractive effort, you'll get it figured out and get the right gearing if you're going to change. Yeah, it. I've got. I I just did the, my gear calculator two sixty four. It's 65 miles. How, how fast do you say you like to run? I usually run about 67. I run from Indiana to Wisconsin pretty much every day. And okay. then sometimes I'll so, go a little further um, with the rock crushers and such. You could run 14, 1483 in direct. You'd be with a 264 at 67. 65, okay. That actually would be, be pretty nice. 1440. Yeah. And now the problem with that transmission is, and I'm not a fan of those things at all. I mean, they, they, they've got 18 gears, but they, but first is at 14.4 to one, which is really not that tall of a first. Um, what's, what's your, right. what's your, what's your crawler gear and your 14 speed there, Joel? Oh, I'm uh 30 to one or something Holy like that. 32 God. to one, 30 to one. Yeah. 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 Holy that just cow. gets it moving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah. No, but but it's a quick jump after that. What's what's that? What's actually that's low. So well, I, I've got I've got two I've got two right. crawlers. I've got thirty two okay. to one, and then like nineteen and a half to one, and then it goes to first, which is in that uh, 13, thirteen to one range, I believe. Yeah, okay. thirteen or fourteen. Yep. Yeah. So that's so that okay. eighteen speeds. It goes, you know, it goes from fourteen four to point seven three over eighteen years, and you know, given those top splits are so fine. Uh, but yeah, sure. So you could, 
it, you know, at the t- so you, I, you know, again, if you're good with the clutch and you could handle it, I mean, you might be all right with that with a 264. But man, well, I adjust uh, my clutch about every 160,000 miles. <laughs> yep, that makes okay. sense. Yeah. yeah, and that's just because because usually I'm losing my clutch brake, not because it's out of adjustment. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We. Uh, but again, uh, you know, don't, don't don't overlook the details. I mean, like I said, make sure the details, rolling resistance. Like I said, I'm a big fan of the Doctor Preload on the wheel bearings and getting some good lube on those, and yeah, get all the all the right stuff in there. You know, the other thing we want to remember on a call like this, you 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 mentioned the details, is the fact that at six point three, every tenth is important. At 10, that 10th isn't quite oh, yeah. so important anymore. I mean, it's just the percentages. And with fuel at five plus a gallon, if you could get that thing to seven, the savings would be extreme. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's. Uh, Adding to what you said, Kevin, nobody nobody chimed in that the, the one really right movie made was lowering it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you should be proud point. of that with a race car. Yeah. <laughs> you got I, I got love it. Down out of the air. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Dude, uh, you go. so I so so I'm I'm going to put a plug in for, you know, we 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 you know, like thanks to Joel and because they, you know, kind of are ahead of everybody. The uh, I love the Volvos, don't get me wrong, and the functionality and the, the stuff that goes on with them and the way they've pioneered the downsped thing and so forth is great and the fact that you could actually just go buy one now, which is a question I had for Henry. I'll get to that in a second. Henry's truck, the the new Cascadia Evo is the best looking truck ever built as far as I'm concerned. Imagine just put the right, put some decent wheels on that thing and lower it a couple of inches. <laughs> it, it's, it's badass. Uh, it's, it's such a cool looking truck. I, I, I have so much lost taste for the old classics. You don't believe it. I mean, they, they don't, they will not turn my head, but if you, you know, I've seen some guys with, with Evos with a flat black on the hood and some black wheels and lowered a little bit. And I'm like, oh, now that's cool. Like that, that's, that, that's a good looking truck. John, I can't go any lower with my chin spoiler and my side rubber skirts that are on the bottom. I'm only an inch, inch and a half off the ground I know. now. Well, you could shorten those things up a little bit then, though, too. Yeah, or put them right on the ground. It's awesome. It just looks so good. It's all sealed up. I put it like a you know put put a Steve Crone style splitter underneath that chin spoiler, put a little edge on that too, and uh, imagine what that thing would do if you sealed off the whole floor and some other stuff. I think I think you could have a lot of fun with arrow on that thing. There there could be some neat stuff to get to do with that. But uh, aside from that, we're keeping this. The, the, we're keeping the snow my, my big, being more than right. an inch and a half high on the roof. <laughs> All right, this, this this show is starting. Uh, the ride height is what we need. This show is starting so to remind me ride-ite. of herding cats, and I, I clicked on a I clicked on a phone line about 15 minutes ago, and before I got a chance to say I was going Hi. to the phones, everybody started talking. So Paul has just been sitting there, listening and waiting patiently. Oh, fighting! Wait, real, real quick though, I have a question for <laughs> I have a real guy question for Henry, real quick. <laughs> Go ahead. If I wanted to, could I actually buy your truck at the dealer? Like, because that's that's where I see Volvo making big progress, where people can actually go and get get Joel's spec basically without without much trouble at all anywhere. Um, you know, yeah, generally but- you get looked like you have two heads when you want two nineteen gears or something. I'm sure. So, is is Freightliner got onto that and be, become more <laughs> consumer friendly with a lot with with marketing a package like yours? Yeah, you can get the whole package. Just, just as it is, your your biggest obstacle that you run into a lot with some of the salespeople, they they <laughs> it starts sounding far out to them. But 
then most of the time, if it's somebody I'm dealing with, I end up calling them like, yeah, this is all regular available stuff. But a lot of them, you know, it's not so much Freightliner because the package is available. What the biggest problem is a lot of the salespeople put their own package together and they check and change one or two blocks for each customer. And that's what they know. Gotcha. Does that make sense? But yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, definitely. There's, a matter of fact, with what I do with here, they don't let me have anything, much to my chagrin, that you can't just <laughs> check a box and get. Okay. So they, so they won't let you have it, and it's not available to the public. But you know, to me, the problem always seemed to be actually specking that truck, right? You said the salespeople are going to not, you know, to try and steer you away from from that. Uh, so is well, there an education process out there to, to, to get the sales force to not you know, become more, more friendly to this type of technology? Yeah, I think uh, Volvo's working on that more than one. anybody. Yeah. I mean, they work on it. I've been at the events, but you, I, I swear you know, half the time the, the sales a, people's eyes are glazed this is a problem. Jump. This is a problem the industry faces because these salespeople, they jump from brand to brand to brand. Well, and as they get more complex and, you know, they get more vertically integrated, it's harder and harder to understand what an optimal spec is. So the yeah. guy that was working for Kenworth, you know, it, it was a 500, 308 with, a, with an 18 speed. He comes to work for Volvo. That's what he pushes his customer. Six weeks later, he quits and goes over to Freightliner because they paid him 50 mm-hmm. cents more. He's doing the same thing over there. It is a very, very difficult task to bring these guys up to speed hey. in typically the short time they have the salespeople. Hey, hey, Joel, you're absolutely well, Joel, right. Chiming, chiming in. Sorry. Yeah, you're absolutely right on what you said, but it's even worse than that. Because if you understand sales in most operations, when they go to hire somebody, mm-hmm. their biggest criteria is mm-hmm. good sales experience in anything. Yes. So yes. you get guys who get yes. hired hand, to sell hand trucks. Handshakers and baby kissers. Exactly. That they're excellent salespeople. Yes. But imagine trying to take somebody like that and imparting <laughs> all the stuff we talk about on a show like this. You're never going to be able to teach those people that, ever. Most of them don't want to hear anything about it. It's all about the relationship part of it. Nothing about the technical aspect, and that's very problematic. Yeah, you know, if you're selling cars, that's not quite that big of a deal. A car is a car. You know, you have this option and that option. You can teach that stuff to people. But trying to teach fuel economy the way we dive into it here just is not going to happen. Well, it's, it's difficult. Kevin, the one I saw that was the biggest hang-up on that was when we started going direct-drive transmissions. And my oh. first direct-drive had 2.50 rear axle ratio, right? Yeah. And everybody's like, that can't pull. But it was identical <laughs> to a, a 342. And for some reason, a 342 no, no, a 2.73 overdrive could pull. Wait, wait a minute, Henry. You, you were even a little off. It's not identical. It's better because we're in direct, not better, in an yeah. overdrive gear. No, I, I, uh, no, I'm saying RPM wise. Oh, yeah, I, I you're right. You, right, right, but, right. They, but in their mind, a 342 <laughs> could pull a hill. I know, but a 250 couldn't. <laughs> I know. So I used we, to take people for test rides in mine, and they're like, "This pulls really good. What's it got in it?" And 
And I, at the beginning of the ride, I'd tell them a 342 just yeah. to get their mind right. Then, then when I was done, I'd say, it's a 250. And they're like, well, how can it pull with a 250? I because know. it's the same as a 342. Be, here's, here's the answer. Because we have a transmission. That's why it can pull better, because right, we right. have a transmission. Well, here, here's, here's the thing. We, we, should, we should stop calling it a transmission, and we should refer to it as a torque multiplier. There you go. Or divider. <laughs> yeah, right. or, or and divider, then things yeah, would become right. a little, would be a little yeah. more clear. Oh when you start Joe, talking about Joe. overdrive, yeah. yeah. Joe, Joe, you're going to make my head explode, because everywhere I go, they want to call my transmission an automatic. And it's not an automatic. It's an automated manual. Oh. <laughs> I hear you, my man. Next one, the next one is throw was the point seven eight overdrive when everybody was used to point seven three seven three yeah <laughs> and, and, and they wouldn't do the math and they'd be saying about what gear they're putting in a truck I'm like with well, a point seven eight overdrive and and then they do the math and they're like oh my god that'd be weird really wrong it's like yeah you think yeah <laughs> uh, all right hey Paul are you even still there. Yeah, 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 sorry, sorry, Paul. I was only Paul. Okay, yeah, that's right. It's yeah, only yeah, Paul. All right. Yeah, I can. And the thing that Herschel said the other day, and he he mentioned me, and he said Paul's pick. So I got one for this week. Paul's pick is Alyssa Milano is better looking than she is smart. <laughs> because she, she gave up her Tesla and went for a Volkswagen. She bought the people's car, so there you go. And then so she That's the first one off the list. And then she promptly found out that uh, that Volkswagen was founded by Hitler and the Nazis, so it didn't look like quite a great move at, at that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Um. It, what what tire pressure are you running in your big fat Michelin tires on the front, Joe? My big fatties have 120 in them at the moment. Okay, because yeah, I'd never heard of that size tire. Do you start talking about it? Well, I met a guy the other day with a big sleeper Pete, and he I mm-hmm. I was talking to him and I looked down and I said, "Oh, you got that same size tire that Joe's talking about," and mm-hmm. I think he said he's. Because he's about 15,000 on the steer axle. He mm-hmm. said he's only running them at about 90 PSI. Ooh. Yeah, I, there's a lot of guys that are, are running them down low. Um, I, you know, I've played with this in the past. Pounds, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I'd have to break the chart out on them again and look okay. at it. Sure. I, I started at 120, just you know, thinking more on the fuel efficiency end of it. I was just going to run them for a while, see what happened, bump them up a little bit, see what happens, and take them down and see what happens, and just you know, kind of play with it and get a feel for them. Um, I don't have a lot of miles on them right as of yet, but man, they are nice. They are so nice in terms of handling and 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 ride, and a very very significant reduction in rolling reason. So yeah. we'll see. The, I got a question for you about Volvo cabs. I don't know if you're going to know this or not, but okay, is is a VNL cab the basic size dimensions? Is it the same cab as what they use on a VAH? Yes. Okay. Well, now I got a real yeah. 
because I found out some no. stuff the other day. No, it's it's VNR. I think has the same cab. I I have to check. It, this has all changed just recently. I, I believe it's a, it's the smaller sleeper, like the sixty one inch sleeper, is on the VAH. I, I believe. Yeah, sixty one. But I okay, right, right. Y- yeah. So, so it, it is not the same. It is not the same sleeper that's on the VNL. Okay. And it's the same sleeper that's on the VNR. Okay. But the, like, is the, the windshield dimension, is it the same windshield that goes in a VAH, that goes in a VNL or VNR? Uh, and, and the, the front windshield we're talking about, um, yeah, the yeah they should all be, yeah. they should all be the same. Yes. Okay. Cause oh. I was talking to a guy the other day and he has a mm-hmm. VAH Volvo but he has mm-hmm. the Fontaine roof on it. And then he said to me, he says, you're not scared of putting big stuff, big pickup trucks and that up there. And he says, you do a lot more of that than what he does. He said, if you're going to buy a VAH, he said, make sure you get the roof chop. And I said, he said, they actually chop through the side of the sleeper. Well, then when I was at West Point, Georgia the other day, there was three VAH Volvos there. Two of them had mm-hmm. the Fontaine flat roof on them. And I'm looking mm-hmm. and say, like, that looks kind of tall. Well, then I looked at another one, and it's like, that's way lower. And the windows look smaller. So I'm looking between the two of them. And they mm-hmm. actually cut about four and a half inches off the top of the sleeper. So, you know, when I was down there uh, having some stuff down to my truck at Fontaine, we were right next to that area where they were. And they, there was a line, yeah, and they, they, they cut that right off. That's, that's exactly right. Cut it down to the top of the vent that's on the side. Well, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't realize because I always thought, you know, just like some of even some of the daycare Volvos, and it's like, oh, they look like a, a small windows, like someone hot rod done got it and done a roof job. Well, that's what they do. Like the Peterbilt, mm-hmm. they just put a flat cap on it, which is an mm-hmm. option with the Volvo. But then I found out that you can actually cut the top off the sleeper. So I thought. Well, I'll just buy the VNL with the turbo compound technology and cut the roof off that and cut there you go. the top. Yeah, so. Right, and then nice. one more for, one more for John. Okay. Did you build a drift truck? Did you build a drift truck yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Did you see the pictures I put up for you? Oh, I saw. Oh, yeah, you put them on my, on my page. Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, I love those things. Yeah. I've, I've still, uh, then I went on YouTube and watched a bunch of videos of them. That looks like a whole lot of fun. So, yeah, because yeah, some of them, some of them guys, they 50, 60 mile an hour, which on a tricycle that's sitting on the ground. So being <laughs> caught in an adrenaline rush. So. There you go. All right. We need to move yeah. along. I'll let someone hey. else have a turn. Yeah, that's right. Okay, hey, thanks. one quick thing. Um, so last year I talked about, you know, picking up Xbox again because I needed something to do in the wintertime. And I found out it's a crazy stress reliever, which seems odd. Um, I haven't even touched it since I got back from being off the road. So I hooked it up again because it's wintertime. There's a cool new feature in Forza. Forza Racing, that program is just incredible. You know what the new feature is? This is so cool. I can't believe somebody didn't think of this sooner. Or maybe they have in some other program, but I doubt if it's this good. So in Forza, you're racing all over Mexico. You can drive all over the country and you go to different events and stadiums and arenas and all kinds of stuff. Now they have an area you can go to and you get to race on Hot Wheel tracks. 
<laughs> that is so cool. I grew up with Hot Wheels. Like, that was the biggest thing for me as far as toys were. And now in this game, I can race on Hot Wheel tracks. Oh, my. I know. It's hilarious. All right. You get to do loop-de-loops and all kinds of crazy stuff. That's what I was going to ask. You yeah. get the big loops and yeah, everything. you get to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Ah, uh, so, let's, let's, so let's you, move you, on. You, Oh, oh, go ahead. Forza, Forza's cool, and it's, it's on Xbox. Yeah. You should see the stuff my kid does. He has a he has a proper sim with iRacing. Okay. And he races all over the world. He does all sorts of things with people on there. And with his driver coaching, he actually does online sessions with people where he does driver coaching for them and bills for it. Really? It is video game, basically. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. It yeah. Is, it's incredible how yeah. realistic it is. When you go in and tune the transmission, you can tell the difference. Oh, yeah. or, or anything on the truck, the suspension or the car. Or, it, it, you make the changes and you can really tell the difference. Uh-oh, somebody got really noisy. Oh. Mark, is that you? Yeah. Well, hey, guys, I, I actually have to get to work. Uh, yeah, we've I, gone through, uh, we, we, <laughs> we've wasted two hours and 38 minutes of people's lives right now. I, I know. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. At, at, at yeah, some point, the most fun you had in a whole week. Yeah. At, at some point, these <laughs> these shows are going to start to have definite ending times. These these unlimited shows are really starting to eat into my schedule. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you're you're really noisy there. All right, all right, John, we'll we'll let you go. We're we're gonna wrap up this call in one. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to sign off. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll uh, I will call you guys from Indianapolis next week. I'll be I'll be at the the big racing trade show, and I'm all part of some stuff to report on there. Yeah. So, uh, Henry, if there's anything you want me to look at there, let me know. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you ever got to that, but it's a pretty pretty cool event. So. All right. But, we'll look forward. And great to having it. Henry on, but I I've got to get to work. All right. So I'll, I'll talk to you guys later. All right. All right, Mark, are you there? Yes, I am. Hi, Henry. Hey, Joel. How you doing? Hello. Doing Great. well. Uh, sorry, Kevin, hold my beer. We'll talk shop here. All right. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, you were talking about 6 by 2s and different fuel economy and aerodynamics. Uh, we'll go back to a little bit of that. You were talking earlier, but... Um, yeah, I do have the Mirai system. I had it on here for about 10 months now. The biggest thing... Making me jealous. I know, <laughs> I know. I, between you and Clark, you guys are all on my coattails, so I got to keep above you guys. So, But the, the biggest thing is those mirrors is the no wind. You don't hear the wind noise from the mirrors hanging outside. And you can run the windows down, air does not come in the truck. Because the mirrors are not bouncing it back onto the truck. Because usually the manufacturers sure. want to keep the air on the truck, keep the water spray off, whatever they want to do off the windows. You don't have any of that. You see right through um, rain, snow, ice, sees right through it, sees through fog, and he has infrared um um, what is it? The lights on there. So it shines three quarters of the way down. I've been working with them and we're going to put some more infrareds on those 
down by the end of the wheel so it lights up the back of the trailer like a flashlight at night. So, That's what Clark does now. He, he has that, and he, he spoke really highly of it to me. Yes, and there's so... The, right, and the, the problem is the, the, uh, the people that sell it, they install it, they just don't know how to fine-tune it. So once I get it, I start finding tuning it. You got to move it out because basically when you look at these mirrors, they look like a pyramid. So the nose of the truck is the top of the pyramid. Then when you look out the mirrors, it kind of spreads out. You get that fisheye bowl. So I told them how to take it out. They do a little bit with software. Um, we pull in the cameras a little more and there's fine adjustments. Some of them, they can move them from left to right adjustments. The other ones are all physical adjustments. They have to go in the camera and just tweak it just a bit where you want it. But once you get it where you want it, it's unbelievable. Better than the mirror. So, but in about 80% of the places I go, I never have a problem. So it's, but then, then once you don't have any mirrors, you forget about it being up there. I almost whacked it a couple of times on the side of the building because you don't realize you don't see the mirror, so you don't pay attention. Oh, yeah. Because so, it's not there in your view. It's above your head. And you don't yeah. see it, and then you get really close because now because you start doing these nice maneuvers. Oh yeah, I can go there. I can see my front headlight, and I could just miss that fire hydrant. Don't go over the curb. There's the mud puddle. Don't get your tire in it, and you can see everything. And but then you forget about that tree. It's up there with the branch. <laughs> <laughs> so then you whack it. But uh, they're pretty invincible. I whacked it once already, and so it snapped back in place, and I thought maybe the, the video picture would be off. Nope, right back where it was. So they has all that stabilization in there. So you'll never see anything bounce, never see anything rattle, nothing. It's just nice, basically a flat mirror, but it's a video camera. So cool. Nice. I love technology. Yep. It, it, it seemed like they would add to that that they'd have it that, if that was getting near something much like, you know, the backup camera on my BMT Acadia that, yep. well, matter of fact, I went around trying to find where the cameras were on that. I was running my hands all over it with it in reverse with my wife keeping it there because <laughs> you can't see where the cameras are. And yeah. well, you have, had such a perfect view. Yeah, you have the ability to fold them in. You just hit a button and they fold in. So, right. I so it's yeah. They thought a little bit of everything, but now we're kind of pushing them. Okay, now we got to tweak it and do this and do that. So, all the cameras are independent. They don't talk to each other. So if one goes down, doesn't take the rest of them down. So everything is independent. So there's redundancy all over the place. It has a DVR that records twenty four seven. You have a panic button. And if you want to save that recording, you hit it, records by 10 minutes further down and 10 minutes behind and locks that in. So it locks the GPS, everything. So anything that happens, it locks in. So you have a place to save it. And you can pull it out with a USB and it pulls all the cameras out and they're all synced together. So when you pull it out, you can see everything that was going around the truck when something happened. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, then, go ahead. Well, once I get the green light, I am looking forward to it because the dealer 
where I actually park my truck at home is the one installing them all on the Maverick truck. So I'm like, come on, oh, come on, he's come a on. Co- once I get yeah. the green light. Yeah. Well, get the green light because you won't be uh, disappointed. It is evasive right in the very beginning. It's sitting right at you, the mirror, like, holy crap, you know, how am I going to get this? Now after I go down the street, you know, I don't even need it's there. I don't even look at the mirrors half the time. Because, <laughs> you know, it's just a mirror. I yeah. don't even look at it half the time now. So, But now for the other thing for aerodynamics is I, I have Steve Crone stuff on my trailer, and we're noticing a huge difference how the um, under-the-axle stuff will work in the back of the ICC bumper. So... That's what we've been working on, Good. and it that's an improvement how fast I can run on a heavy load. I pull a lot of heavy loads, and I can still run double digits through the mountains and everything. It just it kind of basically goes through the air pretty good. It keeps all the air underneath the axles and leaves them under there. When it gets the IC bar, it still keeps them under there. And that's where we saw our big improvements. So, good. Um, and now we're just now we're just kind of filling up the gaps where anywhere the air can catch, we're trying to cut those off so air doesn't grab anything sticking anywhere. So we can kind of smooth it all out. But uh, it, it, the six by two over a six by four, uh, I guess it's all preference you know get that stigma off of it uh, you're going to get stuck with a six by two with a six by four but i've been on black ice for 20 some miles and six by fours are going left and right and you know, <laughs> it's how you drive them like yeah, anything that's anything. a big part so, of it yep no doubt all right we uh yeah. we are going to move it, along isn't We've it got, funny that way what, with go ahead henry when, when they said about the ice and the snow when they said about the ice and the snow you remember when that snowmageddon hit Atlanta several years ago? Yeah. I made it through there with a 6x2 with only 1,200 pounds in the trailer when all the 6x4s were all jackknifed and stuck. You know, we, we've had so many calls so, over the years and examples of people either getting through with 6x2s when other trucks were getting stuck or, you know, for a long time we were talking about running all position tires in all positions on the drive axle and people said, oh, you're going to be stuck all winter long. And we have examples, even a couple videos of people getting through with all position tires when a bunch of trucks with lug tires were stuck. Absolutely. All right. We're going to take one more call and we're going to wrap this up. I've got uh, a bunch of construction noise in the background and it's really kind of annoying to me. So we're going to wrap this up and we've been on almost three hours. So let's uh, let's finish up in Pennsylvania. Pat, you get the final word today. Hey, guys. Thank you. I got two questions for you. Um, Should be pretty straightforward. The first one on Tuesday, this Tuesday or last Tuesday, Bruce was talking about a customer with a endurance transmission in the Peterbilt. It's a 12 speed. I just got a new 579 with that same setup. Um, we're both running 279 rear ends now. We have a different engine. I have the, the MX-11, 11 liter. He had a Cummins, but Bruce was recommending on his next truck, he go down to a 228. Um, 
that would actually, because the, the cruising RPMs and whatnot, especially on the engine I'm running, it would be, I think it would be really good. What wasn't talked about too much, and I wanted to bring it up here, was because it would be something I would consider if it would work. Our transmissions, the 12 speeds, have a 14.4 uh, to 1 first gear, which is a little deeper. On the standard M driver I shift, it's like 11.7, so it's not quite the crawler gear, but it kind of bridges the two. How comfortable, how low would you be comfortable going on a rear end with a starting gear of 14.4? So in this kind of a situation, I'd have to put it into account for startability. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a, I haven't done enough of those to know them off the top of my head. I think you're pushing it. I mean, that's that's not a very low crawler gear to be down or up that high in ratios. I, I think that's going to be pretty close and may not work. And, and I'll add to that 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 two twenty eight. I think at Endurance has a point seven eight overdrive. Your overall top gear ratio is going to be, I don't have my calculator right now, but you'd be way on up there. The way they, yeah. the way, it, the way it, they it work been, the Endurance 12-speed. direct speed. drive on that. Yeah. yeah, right. The way they work the Endurance 12-speed, the direct drive and overdrive is the same transmission. They just lock 12 out, and they, they, they yep. force you into direct. They will not, is my understanding, they will not open up overdrive when you get to those aggressive ratios. Um, I, I'm not sure the exact reasoning on it. However, I, they, they make a really nice endurance 18 speed now that would work way better for this type of stuff. If you want to get aggressive on, the on, the, the gearing, um, okay. I, I believe, I think, um, from what I've been told that it was supposed to have, uh, some deeper reduction in it and some more functionality than what the 12 speed did. So you may, you may want yeah. to look at that. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with it. I know they came out with it, but I haven't really studied it. So that's a good point. But yeah, I just mm-hmm. wasn't sure because they they didn't offer me anything lower than a 253, um, which I was considering. Um, but I know a lot of times with your Volvo stuff for a long time, the, you really had to ask and get into engineering before they would approve something that didn't come up on the computer. But all right, the next one for you is when it comes to downspeeding, especially you, Joel, you talk about the engine architecture and the short stroke that the Volvo has. Mm-hmm. Because um, mm-hmm. I, I only buy 11 liters or a bull caller and mostly local or regional. Those mm-hmm. um, engines, I assume just by the nature of being a smaller engine, they have considerably shorter strokes than even the the, the MP8 or the T13. Are the, they, the, because of that, are they well suited for downspeeding or is, there, is it a ratio or is there something else that would, would factor well, that out? There, there's, there's more than just the architecture that's involved there. It's also where that engine produces horsepower, um, yeah. how they have it set up and where it produces horsepower. And, um, you know, running D11s for years at 385 and 405 horsepower, you know, we ran... 253 direct for a, for a long, long time, 264 over, um, uh, 231 direct is the last one that I had set up with a 13 speed I shift crawler. And they are surprisingly potent little engines down at, down at low RPM. Um, okay. They, they, they do do very well when you, when you push them out there, we think we could probably go on the 11 liter to 2.16 direct, possibly 2.05, um, without much problem. You're probably going to go 239 would be the overdrive would be the, the fastest overdrive 
ratio you'd have available. And for a bulk application, if you think about 239, it is fast enough to run and direct at highway speed. Um, the 11 liter is comfortable running a few more RPM because you have less parasitic drag because it has a smaller bore and uh, it does have a shorter stroke on it. So you don't have as much parasitic drag when the RPMs come up. Um, to me, that's just a, just a kind of a beautiful setup for the 11 liter. If I was going to do another 11, yeah. that's what I would run is 239 over. Um, overdrive may have, yeah, it would be 239 overdrive with a, a B11, probably 425, 1550. Okay. Yep. Okay. Thank you. The, um, mm-hmm. the, the Packard 11 liter, it, cause I've been looking at it and, you know, listening to you guys every week, it, mm-hmm. it has a short stroke. I think it's identical actually to the, and they're very close. They're very, very close. Yep. It's, it's torque peaks at 900 and its horsepower is like just over a thousand. It actually has lower peak power than the, than the MP7 does. So I look mm-hmm. at it and it's like, man, like I feel like this thing has potential, but I don't know how the bottom end's built or if you have any more familiarity with the uh, MX-11 and you know, what you could do with it. I, I, the dimensions on the crank and stuff are pretty decent. The, the, the thing that I personally don't care for when you start to look at the MX series is um, that head is, is kind of thin compared to everybody else's on it. Um, my understanding is that they, they have had some issues with, with the head on them. I think the 11 liter, the bottom end's pretty, pretty spot on to where it needs to be. Cause you're not talking huge, huge horsepower out of it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're going, you're going to what four and a quarter, four thirty, something like that. Typically. Yeah. Four thirty, four forty-five. 45. Yeah. Four, yeah. Yeah. So you're not getting, you're not getting crazy stupid on horsepower. So the dimensions are right. The only thing that kind of gives me a moment to pause on it is the head on it um everything else on that engine i think is is pretty solid my personal opinion it's a much better engine than the 13 i think yeah it's much much everyone i've everyone i've yep. talked to big fleets that have run it they all say the same thing they actually love yep. this 11 liter and they do not like the 13 it's like the polar right. opposite end but um the head is it just that there's too much pressure at the lower rpms like what? What? Why well, you, the head you do, bad you do have you do have high cylinder cylinder pressures. Um, uh, the it, it's going to have a high compression ratio and whatnot. And you know the the thicker the head and the more clamping force you have, typically the longer that thing's gonna gonna last. And when you start to take components and you you kind of downsize them in order to save weight. Um, you know, a lot of times you sacrifice durability and some operations, that's just fine. You know, you're going to make so much money mm-hmm. up front that, okay, I got to replace the head a little bit sooner, but who cares? I've, I've made enough money on it. I believe the MX 11 is lighter than the MP seven. Um, it is, I don't yeah. remember how much, but I believe Not it's lighter. Much. And I think, no, but I think most of that's in the head. And okay. so that, that, that's what gives me a little bit of pause there. I'm not saying that, oh, it's going to have problems or anything like that, but it, it's not as robust. I think the bottom end, everything else is just about on par. And like I said, you're not talking huge horsepower anyway. So um, uh, it, it, sh- it should do well for you, I would think. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys' time. Have a good weekend. Sure. All right. Thank you. Thanks you too. for the call. We are, uh, we're going to wrap it up there. Sure. I had to turn the phone lines off so they would stop calling in. Holy cow. <laughs> Three wild. hours, no breaks. That's a good thing. I know. A it's, a, to, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good problem to have. It is. Henry, great having you here today. Are we going to be able to get you back? 
Yeah, sure. I'm usually available most every Friday other than if I'm on vacation. So it, Got it. three hours went Got quick. It. Yeah, sure does. It'd be I, great. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Anything anybody wants to close with? Not that we haven't said enough already. I'm kind of talked out, believe it or not. So. <laughs> Me too. Right. <laughs> I'm we, ready to get on with my Friday. <laughs> there you go. Get on with the weekend. Joe, let's let's end it with Joe. Let's end it with our biggest area of agreement: six by two's rule. There you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No and, arguments uh, here. I know a lot of people were kind of. Ex- kind of expected me and Henry to go at each other's throats on who's better Freightliner or Volvo. And, and you know, that's really not the purpose here. There's a the lot point. of mutual areas yeah. of agreement. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's technologies here that both companies have identified that work that a lot of people don't understand. And that, you know, guys like me and Henry can help push that information out so people can really use it with confidence and really up their game when it comes to spec in their next truck. Excellent. Henry, since that's what you decided to close with, I don't do this very often, but I, I'm going to give out a, a, a big, I told you so. Um, I took more heat back in 08 and 09 when we built that first signature truck over the 6x2 than anything. People said, you're insane. That's never going to work. You're going to be stuck everywhere. And they gave every excuse in the book why that wasn't going to work. And uh, I, I agree with you. We should have been doing this a long time ago. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, most of the yeah. fleet trucks should be running that 6x2 system in the United States today. Especially the That's way, sure. you know, ours was a little crude. Yeah. There was no doubt, and it wasn't ideal for company drivers. It was kind of proof of concept. And and now that they've optimized it and, and made it work for even new drivers, that we should see a whole lot more of that. All right, we are going to wrap this up because we'll start down that path and we'll be talking another 20 minutes if we're not careful. And uh, I think we all want to get on with our weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, so... Uh, I, I, I want my hour. Hey, I, I was on a hold for an hour at the beginning. Were, I want I another hour. <laughs> I know. Ne- next time, we're going to let you go first. Now, see, now, okay. now you're not a there guest. You you're, you're a part of the team now. See, today you were just a guest. There All right. You now you're part of the team. That works. Well, thanks for the elevation. All right. So uh, we are going <laughs> to wrap this up. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. <laughs>